Mr. Chair, the room is ready when you are. Thank you very much. Welcome everybody to the uh, Wednesday, July 28th, 2021 meeting of the Lawrence Douglas County Metropolitan Planning Commission. Uh, we are gonna launch in, but I wanted to turn it over to staff to lay the uh, ground rules for the, this sort of hybrid Zoom call. Thank you. Good evening, my name is Becky Pepper, Planning Manager. Joining me here in the City Commission Room is Jeff Crick, Planning and Development Services Director, and Kyle Kobe, who'll be helping facilitate the video portion of the meeting. Tonight, we will work alongside the Chair, who is on remote video, to facilitate the meeting proceedings. Currently, we have everyone muted so that we can talk through the general ground rules for tonight's meeting. This meeting is being recorded and broadcast live on the City's YouTube channel. During the meeting, please mute yourself by clicking on the microphone icon found in the lower left-hand corner of the Zoom menu next to the video icon. When you're muted, a red line will appear over the icon, and this will make it easier for everyone to hear the meeting. Just remember to unmute if and when you want to speak. You can also turn your video camera on or off by clicking the video icon in the menu. For the purposes of this public meeting, please keep your video on for the duration. If you are participating by phone, you can enter star six to mute and unmute your phone. Somewhere on the Zoom screen, you will also see a choice to toggle between speaker and gallery view. Speaker view shows the active speaker, while gallery view tiles all of the meeting participants. Commissioners, you must state your name and title each time you speak. Members of city staff must also state their name and title each time they speak. I would also ask that applicants and members of the public identify themselves each time they speak to ensure that everyone is able to follow along. When public comment is sought on an item, individuals participating via Zoom should use the raise your hand feature. Windows and Mac users can access this feature through the participants button at the bottom of their screen. Android and iPhone users can access this feature through the more button located at the bottom right corner of their screen. And for those calling in by phone, you may dial star nine. Individuals will be called upon by name in the order they appear on the meeting host screen. When you're called on, please unmute your listening device and state your name before speaking. The chair will then call for in-person public comment for those who are physically present. Staff will direct you to the podium to speak while following social distancing and safety protocols. The regular three minute time limit will apply. All motions will need to be stated clearly after a motion is made and seconded, staff will call on each commissioner individually to provide their vote. Staff will then need to announce whether the motion carried and the count of the vote. I want to again remind everyone to please mute yourself when you're not speaking, and now I'll turn the meeting over to the chair. Thank you very much, Becky. <clears throat> uh, thank you, sorry for my absence on Monday. Thank you to Vice Chair Sharon Ashworth for uh, Taking over things, I, I didn't get a chance, uh, Commissioner Thomas, to um, say hi to you since I wasn't here on Monday. You're welcome. Um, sure, there'll be opportunities in the future to get to know each other. Uh, for tonight's agenda, there's nothing uh, for general business, um, so we'll move on to communications. Uh, do we have any written communications from the public that we need to receive? Jeff Crick, Planning and Development Services. All communications were included as part of your online packet. About written communications from staff, planning commissioners, or other commissioners? Jeff Crick, Planning and Development Services, no additional communications this evening. Uh, are there any written actions of any waiver requests or determinations made by the city engineer that we need to receive? Jeff Crick, Planning and Development Services, none this evening. Um, for the commissioners, does
does anyone need to disclose any ex parte communications? Seeing none, uh, what about declarations of abstention from specific agenda items? Not seeing any of those either, that's good news. Uh, with that then, um, now's the time of the meeting that we uh, give public, um, uh, members of the public who are in attendance, an opportunity to uh, make uh, comments with respect to general items. If you're here tonight uh, to discuss any of the items that are on our agenda that we're going to um, cover, uh, please save your comments for those uh, times you'll have the opportunity. So now, if there is anybody in the room or on the call that would like to offer any comments, uh, you may do so. Um, and I'd ask that you uh, observe the three-minute time limit for this. Kyle or Jeff, is anybody in the room looking to make comments or online? Kyle Kobe with planning. I do not think we have anyone in the room to speak for general public comment, and I am not seeing anybody's hand going up via Zoom either. Okay, great. Let's turn then to uh, Section C, our regular agenda. Um, we have a, a number of items, the first being um, consider tip for us to consider approving a conditional use permit, CUP 21 dash 00178 for commercial dog kennel use located at 1924 East 950 Road. Um, and I believe we have uh, Catherine who's going to make the presentation for staff tonight. Good evening, Commissioners. Catherine Wheat, one of the planners in the planning department. And as Chair stated, I'm here to present a CUP request for a commercial dog kennel located at 1924 East 950 Road. So in reviewing uh, CUP uh, requests, uh, staff reviews the eight golden criteria as noted in your staff report, um, and I'll go through those. The key points uh, for this particular request is that the subject property is zoned AG2, which is transitional agriculture in the county. Um, and the proposed use of a commercial dog kennel does require an approved conditional use permit in that zoning district. This particular property is not, lo is not located in the urban growth area and is also not located in it. So this particular CUP would be a request to establish a new use on the property and that use being the commercial dog kennel. There is one associated uh, case with this uh, request. There was a county uh, zoning variance request, or I'm sorry, variance, the uh, board of zoning variance request with this. I mean, a variance was granted uh, for this particular location to vary um, the location, which is typically required to be 500 feet from any property line, to vary that by 98 feet down to 402 feet. So that is just a point of note that there is an associated variant, county variance with this particular request. Further action that would be required on this after um, Planning Commission public hearing it would have to take your recommendation, whatever that may be, would go before the Board of County Commissioners. Then planning staff would have to release the um, conditional use permit if approved to zoning and codes for issuance. And then zoning and codes would review the conditions, make sure they're all met and issue or final any building permits uh, related to the CUP. Communications, there were a significant number of communications that came in for this particular project. All of those that were received prior to today were added to uh, your packet, so they were all included 
Uh, we did see one communication about 5 p.m. Uh, this afternoon. Um, I notified them that we would not be able to get it into the packet, but that I would mention that it did come in. It was from uh, Midge Gridstead, uh, who is um, the current director, uh, Kansas State Director of the Humane Society of the United States. She did send in a request with uh, two concerns that she would uh, like to relay to you. One of those being um, that the zoning request, uh, initially the property they were operating without proper licensing from the state of Kansas. And the second was concern is related to the debarking of dogs. Um, and so I'm just relaying those uh, synopsis of her two concerns since they were late to arrive to the packet. So in the review uh, for the project under the eight golden criteria, uh, what we're looking at for our CUP approval, uh, that first criteria, whether or not the surrounding zoning and uses are compatible. And uh, this particular use, um, again, the zoning is AG2. The surrounding zoning in the area is also AG, AG either one or two. And there is some uh, cluster uh, development zoning just to the south of this particular uh, location that contains a cluster of rural residential development. In staff's review of the surrounding zoning, um, based on the proposal and the location of the project, staff felt that it did uh, meet the criteria for surrounding zoning and could be compatible with a list of conditions that would mitigate any um, impacts to the, the surrounding area. Second criteria is the character of the area. This particular property is 15 acres. That's the 15 acres would be where the dog kennel is located. Those 15 acres are part of an 80 acre um, parcel of land that is owned under the same ownership. So this is a 15 acre piece of an overall 80 acre uh, ownership parcel. Um, the, the proposed dog kennel uh, would be placed um, away from the street right of way behind the primary structure, which is a dwelling on the property and would be adjacent to a tree line, uh, which would shield most of the kennel, um, not the front, but all other sides from adjacent view and adjacent properties. Third criteria, whether or not the um, request is suitable or the property is uh, suitability as restricted under the zoning. So currently this is zoned for agriculture, but it, agriculture also permits single dwelling use, rural residences, some home occupations, hobby farms, those of that, things of that nature. Um, this particular request is not changing the zoning. So those uses could continue on this property. Um, the single family dwelling can remain on the property. Again, the conditional use permit is just to add the additional use of the commercial dog kennel. Um, the third or the fourth criteria is whether or not um, it impacts the natural environment. Staff to the analysis and based on the criteria and the comprehensive plan, of what is considered natural um, environments of sensitive nature would be serious slopes, large stands of trees, floodplains, agriculture land. The location for the proposed kennel um, would not be impacting any of those areas. Again, any significant slopes or large stand of trees is being lo is located to the west of the proposed dog kennel um, and would be acting primarily as a buffer for that uh, use on the property. So staff found there would be no impact um, to the natural environment. 
Um, criteria six, whether or not uh, the use is compatible with the comprehensive plan. Staff uh, found that it was comprehensive. It was compatible with the comprehensive plan. This particular use is not taking any agricultural land away from uh, the agricultural inventory in the county. They are utilizing property that is currently not being farmed. Again, there's lots of woodland on this particular property, so it is not being used currently for agricultural purposes. And it does um, um, it does facilitate uh, other uses that are compatible, as stated in a comprehensive plan, that um, uses that can be compatible without impacting surrounding areas could be authorized through the conditional use permit process. Staff did not propose a time limit with this particular um, application. Um, it, staff did work with county staff and a list of uh, conditions that we can go over here in a moment. Um, so this particular CUP has a series of conditions that uh, have such things such as a yearly review and they are subject to inspections. Um, they have to be licensed by the state. Um, they have to comply with all county zoning and state regulations. So staff did not put a time limit on this particular CUP request, being that if they are in compliance and do not trigger revocation of the CUP, it would be assumed they could continue this um, as long as they maintain their compliance. And the final um, criteria is whether or not it meets all of the criteria in the zoning regulations. In the standard, the county zoning standards for a commercial dog kennel, there are eight criteria that are itemized in the staff report. Staff analyzed all of those eight criteria for uh, commercial dog kennels and felt that this particular proposal could meet all of those criteria. So in overall, staff is recommending that the planning commission recommend uh, approval of this particular um, CUP with the list of conditions, um, and there's 15 of them that are listed on your staff report with the list of conditions. Um, and I would be happy to stand for any questions or provide any clarification on the analysis or um, any other comments or questions you may have. Thank you, Catherine. Luke Sinclair, uh, Planning Chair. Um, I think that we have uh, signed up for the applicant. Um, Aaron Dam, is that correct? Yes, I believe the applicant was going to be here and was going to speak. Uh, Ms. Weaver here. Can you hear us? Uh, Luke Sinclair, planning chair. Yes, I can hear you. Is this Aaron Dam? This is Aaron and Megan. Yes, this is Aaron and Megan. Okay, great. Yep. It, uh, Mr. And Mrs. Dam, uh, this is the time where you can add anything you want to uh, to inform the commission in our decision-making process about this. Um, and so the floor is yours, and, and you're able to take ten minutes if you'd like. Okay. Um, I guess to start, just so some of the confusions that we had had in the beginning when we first um, started breeding, we only had three dogs. Um, once we hit the limit of five. That's when the state of Kansas suggests that we be licensed with the state of Kansas. So we did so in 2019. Um, at that time, we'd asked the state inspector, do we need to be licensed at the county level? And he had told us no. 
Um, and furthermore, we in 2019, the, the county had contacted us and said, we do need to be licensed. Um, we used to have our dogs housed in a big barn that was south of our house. And at night, deer and animals would stir the dogs up. So we realized it was a problem. We moved the building in the back, trying to set it in the trees and the best aesthetics we could as far as sound. Um, and that's when we started working with the county in 2019. And 20, February 2020, the regs changed and went from a home-based business to a CUP. So it used to be 200 feet from the neighbors and it went to 500. So we've had to work with the county and kind of get everything, the variance. And and there's a lot of stuff that has changed for us. So we've been working with um, Tanya and Ben and Tina and everybody trying to get everything done. Um, the building is mostly complete. We've got one final electrical inspection and a final walkthrough with um, with Tina and Stu. Um, we still have um, the holding tank to put in. I spoke with Andrew. He came out, looked at our drain system and what we did for the drains, um, trying to filter some of the hair and waste before it goes in the holding tank. And um, he's approved everything as far as the waste stuff. Um, so really, it's just these final couple hurdles. Um, a little bit about us. We've got um, 11 breeding dogs. We've got four other ones that are just our family dogs. Um, we breed Australian Shepherds. We have a couple Golden Retrievers. Um, our son has epilepsy and cerebral palsy. So the Goldens we kind of got into as far as holding one back for a seizure alert dog for our son. And then he's also got an Australian Shepherd that's a service dog that he uses right now. Um, and we started breeding oh, 2017 small and then 2019 is when we picked it up a little bit. Um, as far as traffic and you know neighbors and stuff, nobody really comes here to pick dogs up. 90% of our dogs are delivered. Um, my wife flies them and usually most of our buyers are out of state buyers. Um, so most of the time they go on a plane ride with Megan and she drops them off to the people. Um, I'm trying to think what else. Yeah. And these are not going to, you know, homes that these dogs are never going to wind up in a humane society. Yeah, well, these people are paying $2,000 plus for a dog. So, it, you know, we, we make sure we background check our buyers as much as we can before they purchase the dog. Um, Every dog is genetic tested. Everyone's registered. Um, the building that we put in, we did our best for sound deadenings. When we had it built, we did 5 eighths plywood on the exterior, also with barn metal. I did six inches of closed cell spray foam. I then did five eighths drywall on the inside with FRP. I sealed the floor and epoxied the floor on the inside so no urine can penetrate it. Um, we bought gun dog brand doors, which are a seal closed dog door. So when the dog goes through, it has a hinge that immediately closes it and seals it off. Um, the exterior concrete is um, all the way around where the pins are is epoxied with a full drain system. We daily wash the pins, so it just washes off really easy. Um, it goes into a filter trap where we catch most of the hair and waste before it goes to the septic. And then we've got a holding tank that will be put in that has a monitoring system. When it gets close to full, we call, we have it pumped out. Um, there are exercise fields in the back. It's on the site plan. They've got several runs in the back that are all under shade. Um, and most of those have artificial turf that will go down, so it's not muddy and easy to maintain. Um we have a veterinary station, little veterinary station inside of our building. Doc Nottingham comes out and does our tails and dew claws um, for the Australian Shepherds, does puppy checkups, mom checkups, um, and that kind of stuff. Um, all of our shots or whatever we need is done by Doc. Um, I'm trying to think what else in the building. 
a lot of our, I mean, I'd say six or seven of our dogs, we rotate living in the house with us. I mean, my, primarily that building we use the most for is the moms when they're whelping pups. They, they don't, they don't want to be bothered. They just want to raise their pups and, and do their thing. So, um, and then when the puppies get to that, you know, four or five week old stage, they just want to run and eat and poop. So that's kind of what the building's for. Um, at night, we'll put the dogs up um, before dark. We'll inside the building, they have a guillotine style slide door. So when they come in, we close a little cable and, and they stay inside at night. Um, that'll reduce a lot of the barking. Most of the barking we had a couple of years ago, complaint wise, was just wildlife stirring these guys up at night. Um, so they'll come inside at night and then we'll turn them back out in the morning. Um, and then they go in individual play fields and stuff like that. So um, we put the building in the best spot we could as far as trying to keep the sound down and, you know, trying to reduce the impact as much as we can. Um, we are state licensed for the state of Kansas. They come out every six months and do a, a surprise inspection. Um, we've never failed. We've we've always been compliant. Um, the inspector said that's probably one of the nicer kennels he's been in eastern Kansas. So we've really spent a lot of time and research on building this thing. Um, a lot of the complaints we've heard is we put the cart before the horse. You know, when we first were told we didn't need to be, you know, the county inspector told us we didn't need a permit. We listened to him. Um, at the point the con county contacted us, we went in that week and sat down and talked to them to try to figure this out. And we've been working with them. This is not a fast process. Um, so we have been working as, as best we can. You know, we were paying for this out of pocket and doing the work ourselves. So we go as fast as we can to get this done. Um, I feel that we're on the last leg of it and we're almost complete. So um, I guess that's about it, is it? I sent some pictures in to Kyle. I don't know if he's got them. Um, just kind of shows the facility. I don't know if this is a time where we can see those now or when you guys do those. Okay, here's the. There's the inside of the dog facility here. We've got a small kitchen on the right, and then actually behind it is a dog grooming table with a um, little dry table for the dogs. On the left, the doors aren't installed yet. I've got pictures to show you the doors, but it's FRP on the walls, so it's easy to clean. The floor is epoxy. It's very easy to clean. Each dog has five-by-five five runs on the inside. The whole building is central air and heat. Um, go ahead and go to the next one, Kyle. And go ahead and go to the next one. Um, so this is Wyatt. This is our son um, that has cerebral palsy and epilepsy. He goes on most of the plane rides with mom um, and delivers the dogs. Go ahead and go to the next one. Um, here's one of our, there's just one of our whelping pins and one of our females with pups. Go to the next one. Um, that's Buggy, one of our females. Next one. That's our whelping pin in our house. That's where we do most of them. This is Wyatt's service dog. Our Australian, one of the one of the first Australian shepherds we started with. This is kind of the reason we started breeding these dogs. They're extremely smart dogs and are awesome for service dogs. So go ahead and go to the next one. Um, this is a small vet station. So this is Megan's incubator up top. So if we get a pup that's born sick or runt or cold, um, we put it in that. It can put oxygen in it and it raises the temperature. To 100 and then we've got a little kennel down below so when doc's here we can put mom and the pups down below then he can just reach down and do his thing with the pups um as he needs to so go ahead and go to the next one um that's some of our dogs and pups with our boys um the boys like to walk them at night so that's them heading back down the driveway and then they'll come back so go on to the next one um that's why it in a service dog is a pup next one that's the next one. That's Jade at dinner. Our dogs go to dinner with us a lot. Go ahead and go to the next one. 
Um, this is the kitchen that we had to put in. It's got a hand washing station. Um, the fridge holds our shots or anything we need um, on the left for the dogs, the wormer, anything we need like that. Um, and it had to be a cleanable surface. And a lot of the stuff, we went off the Kansas licensing packet. Um, it's like a huge packet that kind of tells you what the, what the facility needs. So go ahead and go to the next one. Um, that's some of our dogs there, the Australian Shepherds is next. Yeah. Okay. These are the gun dog doors. So there's 10 of them framed in the building. Um, and those are on a double hinge. So when a dog goes one way, it opens and closes behind it. When it comes the other way, it opens and closes behind it. Um, so that was the best doors, um, for the facility that we could find almost $500 a piece, but they guarantee they're not chewable. So they can't make a hole in them and they seal up very nicely. So yeah, and they clean really nicely. So as it, down below, you can see the gutter system. The concrete actually slopes towards the building. So when we wash our pins, it goes into this white gutter system, and then it has a series of drains into the holding pan, into the holding tank. So go ahead and go to the next one. Um, and this is our inside of our house. This is where some of our inside dogs are, and they've got their pins inside. Um, and when it's cold, we'll do a lot of our whelping in the house. So me and Megan, because some nights you females like to have dogs, puppies at night. They usually start about midnight. So we're usually up all night whelping dogs. So go ahead and go to the next one. Um, oh, that's a different that's one. Go to the next one. <laughs> that's a job site job. Okay, so here's the epoxy. There's the concrete before we started um, when we put the epoxy down on it. Um, so it's just a flat, cleanable surface. There's no porous, no nothing. It's very cleanable. So none of the urine smell or anything like that stays in the concrete. Um, go ahead and on the next one. And that's the, another shot of the drains all the way down. And then this will have the roof over it also. I've still got to work with Tina on some uplift stuff, but this actually has a roof that'll cover all these outdoor runs. It'll be right here. Off to your left, this will all be regraded where all the pipe is. And then this is where the fields are. Exercise fields will be back there in the trees to your left. So as you can see, like that neighborhood south of this. So you're looking south of this building. You're looking through 600 feet of trees um, as far as sound. That's why we put that building there. Go ahead and go to the next one. There's a dog door up close. Next one. Um, you can skip that one too. It's just another one of the back pins. Uh, Mr. Dam, Mr. Dam, yeah. this is Luke, Luke Sinclair, planning chair. If you wouldn't mind just kind of wrapping up your presentation, you yep. exceeded yep. 10 minutes. This Thank is you. the inside of the building. You can see before this is where the epoxy was in the framing of the building. Go ahead and go to the next one. That should be it. I think the, the end of the slide. You know, yep. the Perfect. So that kind of shows what we're doing the best we can. So. Very good. Thank you, uh, Mr. Dam and Luke Sinclair Planning Chair. I'm sorry, I, I caught your name, Aaron. Can you remind me, uh, was it your wife that's on the phone too? Yes, Megan. Megan, thank you. Um, please stay on because we we very well may have questions for you. Um, okay, thank you. And you'll, you can have an opportunity to respond to um, some of the comments from the public also if you'd like. Uh, so now is the time for public comment on this particular item. <clears throat> if you're on the phone, or the Zoom call, please uh, electronically raise your hand or wave, uh, and then uh, Kyle will hopefully help me with that, as well as if there are um, commenters in the chambers as well. Kyle Kobe with Planning. We do have two individuals in the room to speak on this item, and I'm not seeing any hands going up just yet, but um, we might go ahead and just uh, go through the in-person public comment, and that would give people more time to raise their hands digitally if they so choose. 
Luke Sinclair plan chair. That sounds great. Uh, for those who are in person in the chambers, if you wouldn't mind uh, giving us your name, and I don't know if there's the opportunity to write down name and address information at the podium too, and um, uh, please keep your comments to three, three minutes. May I ask questions uh, to Aaron or Megan? Uh, Ma'am, I, I would suggest maybe posing the questions you have, and okay, then during question, the portion yes. of the time when we discuss it, we'll we'll try to broach those questions. Okay. With, uh, with I I live off the road. My name is Marguerite Ermeling. I have no direct impact uh, other than I can say that I live probably a thousand feet, and I have received at least one notice about this. Um, and I don't have any problems with what is going on in terms of the idea of, of breeding, and I've known of these people. They are my neighbors. Uh, the questions I have relate to sound. And in the sound, you've described, uh, some things have been described about how they're going to couch that to the people who have homes in the neighbor area. And there is a concentrated uh, rural residential area immediately to their south and then there's other homes that are uh, around that area to their north and uh, are all around them actually. And I'm not quite clear how that uh, sound is going to be managed and I'd like to understand how that will be accomplished. And I also have a very specific question and that relates to s some surgical approaches to controlling barking and if that is uh, something uh, that this group has uh, used or plans to use in order to curtail any of the, s the barking sounds. And if that that's, is my question to begin with, I do have a follow-up to that, but that is my question in three minutes. Uh, Luke Sinclair Planning Commissioner, thank you, ma'am. Um, the next public commenter is, is welcome to come to the podium. Uh, Kyle Kobe with planning. That is actually all the uh, in-person public comment that we have at this time. Uh, so far, I'm not seeing any hands being raised via Zoom. If anybody sees a hand going up that I'm missing, let me know. But as of right now, I don't see any. Okay. Luke Sinclair, planning chair. Um, if someone shows up late, I think we could probably figure out a way to accommodate them. Uh, but since that's what we have for now... Um, Mr. and Mrs. Dam, uh, if you'd like to address some of those questions, I think uh, uh, Marguerite Erberling referenced sound and then surgical approaches to controlling barking. Um, you have five minutes to, to address those and anything else you'd like. Okay, thank you, Luke. This is Aaron. Um, on the sound, the biggest complaint we had with the sound was the dogs at night barking um, and when they were on the side of the building. Now, the building was way south of our house and face, it kind of turns facing the neighborhood. So, um, you know, as all the neighbors we've contacted have said, they haven't heard the dogs bark in over a year, ever since we moved into the other building. That's the biggest question we have. Even the neighbors that don't like us, we just, we've asked them, we've sent their wives messages on Facebook and said, Hey, can you hear the dogs? And every single one of them has said no. Um, which helps us note, and we're not even done with the building. Like this isn't even to the point where I feel it's a hundred percent yet. Um, so, um, the dogs coming in at night, closing the doors, having them in staying inside, um, was a lot of it. Um, most of it was deer that were in our pasture south of our house. I'd wake up with dogs barking when they're in the old building and there'd be does walking right by their pens. 
Um, so that naturally stirred them up. So at night they'll be inside in the AC doors closed. Um, they can't see nothing. They're just inside chilling on their beds. Um, so that's what we've done to stop most of the noise. And we've moved the facility clear back in the trees where you've got, I don't know, 600 some feet of trees that block the sound. So, so far we've had no neighbors say they've heard the, heard the dogs at all um, in the past over a year since we've started using the new building. So that's the best we've done with the, with the barking. Um, when this stuff first all started, you know, we, we kind of got just bombarded with the county and complaints. And, you know, you got to understand it's stressful for us. We thought we were doing this right found out we weren't we had a lot of stuff to change we thought we were going to lose our dogs these dogs aren't just breeder dogs ours these are our dogs i mean we spend we're, we both work from home so our dogs are with us every day all day they play with us they're our kids so we talked to a couple of breeders that had done debarking which is a procedure where they go in and etch their vocal cords to little incision so we talked to about doing that, and I had told Ben we could do that, and Ben stopped and said, no, don't. He said, guys, just because you've got neighbors complaining and just because people are being shitty, don't do that. You need to look into it more. So we stopped. We didn't debark any dogs, um, and that, that was just an option we first had because it was like, I mean, guys, you got people just talking shit, coming at you. It, it really was not fun, um, especially when you spend this much time and money trying to make something perfect for dogs. I mean, this – we, I mean – They've got a house nicer than half the house in Douglas County on the inside. And to have it to where we could lose it, it was not fun. Um, so the debarking we did not do and we will not do. I think what we've done and, you know, it, I think what we've done is fix the problem. And especially people that were mad about the barking have said we can't hear them anymore. And it's, I think we've got it all fixed. So... Uh, thank you, Mr. Dam. Luke Sinclair, Planning Commissioner. Uh, just wanted to give maybe an opportunity if there was anybody else that wanted to make any comments on this. I know it's sort of out of the usual, but to the extent there are, we'd entertain them. Otherwise, I'll bring it back to the commission. Kyle, is anybody raising hand? Recent joiners? Kyle Kobe with planning. I'm not seeing any more hands going up. We do have one or two um, phone participants. So if you are able to unmute, you could, uh, this might be the time. Um, I know that that can be a little bit tricky to get the raise your hand to go if you're on phone. So I just wanted to pause and just in case. does not appear that that is the case. Very good. Um, Luke Sinclair, planning chair. With that then, I, I'll bring it back to the commission so we can uh, discuss this. Uh, does anybody have any questions or comments that they'd like to um, raise at the outset to get the discussion going? Commissioner Ashworth? Planning Commissioner Ashworth, um, I do have um, a question. I believe uh, Ben Harris um, from Monday night is on the line, and I have a question about enforcement. Um, so we just heard on Monday about the difficulty of enforcement, uh, difficulty staff are having with enforcement with so many cases and so few staff. Um, so what assurances do the neighbors have of this yearly review? Um, I 
I, I don't see that there would be a problem with the yearly review in, in this case. Um, we, we have a pretty good relationship with Aaron Dam at this point. Uh, I think that yearly reviews can be challenging if we're not getting good communication and good feedback. Um, we reached out to Aaron uh, back in 2019 when we first started to receive complaint and we um, received communication with him the very next day. Um, within a few days, we had an in-person meeting here at the building and started working through that process with him and with Megan. And it's been kind of a slow road. Things got slowed down with COVID and um, you know other things that have happened within their their family during the last two years. But they've worked with us pretty steadily through this process. Thank you. Uh, Luke Sinclair, Planning Chair. Catherine, I see your hand up. I might also um, to Commissioner Ashworth's question and um, Ben's response. So the county was um, instrumental in some of the conditions that were placed on this particular um, uh, conditional use permit. And some of those conditions are in fact geared towards helping um, with enforcement if they are deemed to not be in compliance or uh, you know, complaints continue to come in. They do have some um, actions that they can uh, utilize based on the conditions in the CUP. So that that might help with some enforcement. Luke Sinclair, uh, Planning Chair. Thank you, Catherine. Uh, Tanya Voigt, I saw you pop up. Was there anything you wanted to add on that particular topic? Nope, I agree. Tanya Voigt, Zoning Director, I agree with Catherine. We worked um, pretty closely with Catherine to make sure that we felt they were conditions that um, our office could enforce. And they were also strict enough conditions that if we were receiving had issues, receiving continuous complaints, and they couldn't be remedied, that we could bring that this conditional use permit back. So we feel confident in the conditions that have been set forth. Thank you, Tanya. Luke Sinclair, Planning Chair. Uh, other commissioners with questions or comments? Uh, Commissioner Carter. David Carter, Commissioner. Um, I have a, a question for Mr. Dam. Uh, if you could talk a little bit about the licensing process, what kinds of steps are involved uh, in that, you know, at the state and county level? And also, is there, are there any measures that you have to go through in order to maintain your license over time? This is probably a better question for Megan here. She does that stuff so much. Right. Very good. So, yeah. So, um, with the state, we have to keep um, a vet form um, on file. So, the vet comes out and he does an inspection yearly also. And that's something that the state keeps on file. Um, we also have an emergency evacuation plan. And that goes for tornadoes, floods, electrical outage. Um, that's on file with the state. Um, all of our vaccinations, everything that has to keep, everything has to be on record. Um, the state does surprise inspections. They can come as often as six months. They can come as often as a year. And um, all of that's open record. That's anything that even the public can obtain. Um, they can see what we're compliant on. They can see what we're not compliant on. We've always been compliant. Um, my last time, my inspection, I had an open bag of dog food. That was the one thing I got wrote up on. And, and it's on a pass-fail basis. So I was overly passing still. Um, we've had a really good relationship with the state. Um, they do a very thorough inspection. They walk through everything. Um, you have to have a dog on hand list too so that they um, you know, know which dogs you have. Um, 
have to, you have to keep records of every dog sold and then all the records of who you sold the dog to, um, name, address, all that stuff. Um, we have to have a list of all litters. Um, it's, it's a long, I mean, when he's there, they're here for an hour, hour and a half. Um, and they're, they're very picky. I mean, we had one kennel that had a little bit of surface rust on it. We had to fix, I mean, they're, they're thorough. Um, it's, and you have about 30 minutes when they, I mean, when they pull in, you get no notice. They're yeah. here, you open your doors. So we, we get a, we get a penalty from the state. We just get a big fine for it. Yes. So, and we, and they give you like, say we're on vacation. They give me like 30 minutes to contact one of my emergency contacts. And they do keep a list of emergency contacts on file also, which, you know, I have um, Marguerite Ermeline that's sitting in there. She knows her, Julie Springer, that lives down the road. Uh, Julie works for Marguerite at the vet clinic. So Julie's one of them. Uh, my parents, my son, if he's staying with a friend, if we're gone for some reason. Um, we have, we have, and then we have employees too that know all of our dogs and, and can take care of them. So if you, if we're not compliant, we have 30 days to correct it, which we haven't been compliant. So we haven't gone to that process yet, but as we're being told that we'd have 30 days to correct the problem and they come back out for a reinspection. Um, so that's kind of the steps as far as the, the state stuff goes. Um, and I don't think there's a whole lot of licensed ones in. No, in, I'm the only licensed uh, kennel in the state of Douglas County in, right now. In Douglas County, um, we're the only county, licensed. Um, which is half. I do not know them. But um, I'm the only one. It, it There is a process, and you do have to have a claim facility to be licensed with the state. Did that answer your questions, David? Yes, it did. David Carter, Commissioner, thanks very much. I appreciate the very thorough answer. Loose and clear planning chair. Other questions from the commissioners? Commissioner Rexford. Yes, say, this is Gary Rexford, Commissioner. Uh, question for the applicants. Um, 15 conditions on this CUP. Um, are there any of these that you have concerns about being able to meet? This is Aaron. No, there's no concerns. We finished our insurance this week. They came out and inspected. We got that done, but all the other stuff is, yeah, I mean, we're fine with. Um, we won't have over 20 dogs. Um, inspections with the county is fine. I got with Ben and kind of went over with him as far as cleanliness so nobody can transfer. You know, we do worry about diseases coming into our building. Your feet can carry, your shoes can carry Parvo for a long time. Um, it would especially people that go to dog parks and travel up and down streets and stuff. So um, we've got with Ben on how to make sure that, you know, when they do the inspections, everybody's clean. But um, no, nothing we saw in there was out of the ordinary or, or felt it'd be hard for us. We we're, I mean, I think we're okay with all of it. So. Thank you. Yep. Luke Sinclair, Planning Chair. Thank you, Commissioner Rexrode. Um, other, other questions or concerns? I see Commissioner Shanklin. Greg Shanklin, Planning Commissioner. I have some questions, I, th I think most of which would be addressed to Catherine Week. Um, uh, there was uh, a reference or two in some of the correspondence uh, regarding uh, the multiple uses on the, the 80 acre uh, aggregate site. And one of those was a diesel repair. Um, it appeared from some of the text that the diesel repair was actually occurring on the same 15 acre parcel as the dog kennel. 
And so I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, are, are we allowing multiple uses for, uh, you know, or several businesses? What's the control on that? Um, there's a 20 acre requirement for dog kennels. Uh, we're putting that on a 15 acre parcel. And so uh, if you could just explain some of that further, please. So um, I can answer one thing here, but I'm going to pass some of that question on to Tanya at the county so she can talk to you about um, the multiple uses that are occurring on the property. Uh, one note, um, you mentioned the 15-acre parcel. Um, so as I mentioned, there was an associated uh, county zoning request that was approved. That request does have some conditions that were in that zoning approval. One of those conditions was um, that they consolidate their parcels, and which would make that an 80-acre parcel or some other combination that was greater than 20. Um, and that is part of the zoning variance condition. And one of the conditions on the CP is that they still meet those zoning variance conditions that were placed on that approval. So that would alleviate the 20-acre um, concern, I guess, this being on a 15-acre piece of that 80-acre parcel. So that, that would pop that up on 20. If, if I could just follow on to that for a second before we go on to Tanya then. Um, it, it seems to me that to some degree, we're putting the cart before the horse then. There, there's an assumption that there's going to be five acres available to add to this 15 acres in order to make the 20. Um, and it, to grant the conditional use permit before we know that there is five acres available, um, it seems to me to be a, a little bit backwards. And so um, where does the five acres come from? Is it subject to, for example, ag land review or any other review that, that might raise doubt about whether or not the five acres is available to be combined with the 15? Yes, Tony might be able to answer this as well, but um, keep in mind that 80 acres is under all the same ownership. So that 80 acres is subdivided into, I believe, four different sections, one of which is the 15-acre parcels. So there are multiple scenarios where they could combine one of those parcels um, or all of it into one large 80-acre parcel. And I don't believe it would impact um, any of the land uh, use currently requirements for um, agriculture or, or uh, the zoning characteristics. But Tanya, Tanya can maybe address that condition that was in the zoning variance report. Tanya Voigt, Zoning Director, do you mind if I share the screen and pull up an aerial real quick? Is that okay? Please. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, can everyone see the property? Aaron Dam's property is located right here. Um, you, if we zoom in, we can actually see, um, this is the agricultural building um, to the south of the house. That's where the dogs were originally located. And um, you can see how close the subdivision is, that agricultural building. That is on a parcel today um, from the primary residence and the additional accessory buildings. Um, when we zoom in here, we can actually see, so here's the house right here. This is an accessory building, an accessory building. And then this building back, the furthest building to the east here 
is the building um, that would house uh, the dogs. And since then, there's been a concrete pad poured and several other modifications have been made since this um, accessory building went in. Um, when we look at the parcel as a whole, um, Megan's father, um, Mr. Weatherman, he actually has the 15 acres we're discussing. He has a landlocked parcel back behind that to the east. He has an additional parcel to the south that has the accessory building and then another parcel to the south. Um, and, and Aaron can confirm this, but we've had quite a bit of correspondence with Aaron about doing a land combination survey um, and making sure that um, Aaron's father is, is plans on um, passing that all of that land back down to Aaron and um, Megan. And then once that is done, the landlocked parcel from a zoning perspective is um, uh, fixed, which is wonderful. And then we have um, several essentially buildable grandfathered vested parcels that would be buildable, but with a land combination that would stay intact and would be eligible just for that one building permit. So from a zoning perspective, this land combination does a lot of really good things. Um, I'm gonna stop sharing. And then um, to discuss kind of the Caw Valley diesel situation. So I think it was maybe 2017, 18, I think Caw Valley diesel closed down in town. It was on East 23rd street. Um, uh, it was, there was trucks that were for sale there and tractors that were for sale there. Um, and you could pull in and get tractor parts and those type of things. When Caw Valley diesel turned, um, closed down, uh, that essentially all of that equipment and the trucks and tractors and those type of things that were associated with that business moved out to this property. We then, when once we found out about it, we contacted Aaron and said, um, we need to know what you're doing on the property and if you intend to operate a business such as uh, diesel repair from that business or from that location from the house site. And um, initially there was discussion. We met with Mary Miller at the office and he was planning to apply for a conditional use permit. And that conditional use permit would have been for truck storage that would have allowed him to store trucks on the property that then he would maybe have the ability to work on or, or not. Because we actually prohibit automotive repair in the agricultural district, like car repair, that type of thing. And so um, we were just kind of working through the options, talking about a conditional use permit, see if something fit. And then Aaron actually um, made a change and he purchased property in the city limits of Perry. Um, it's commercial property in Perry, and that's where his trucks are parked. Um, so I do think there is some side business stuff going on um, where he may purchase a vehicle and then sell a vehicle, but that is happening in the per at the Perry location. Um, but Aaron would like to apply for agricultural only repair from the house location. We can permit agricultural only repair in the ag district um, and he would qualify. He has the acreage with the land combination, um, but we would want to ensure that it's only ag related. So working on tractors, maybe some farm trucks if um, they're associated with a farm, that type of thing. Um, and so we've held off on that um, portion because we really wanted to make sure he was getting into compliance with everything else before we issued a home-based business. Um, and he has also met with us. We've visited uh, the accessory building, which would be the ag building to the south, where he wishes to do the ag repair. Um, and Tina has done a walkthrough and he would need to make some code modifications to meet building code. So we, we are not ready to permit that. Um, 
but we're kind of still in the middle of working through that process. Uh, Greg Shanklin, Planning Commissioner again. Um, thank you, Tanya. I, um, I guess I have no further follow-up on the, uh, the diesel use or the diesel repair use, but um, would like to ask that we consider uh, the, the addition of the five acres uh, to make a combination of 20 as a further condition uh, to the, the list of conditions for the conditional use permit. Um, I, I, I think it's important to know that that will be satisfied as well as the other conditions. Um, and then secondly, I'd just like to point out a logical inconsistency in our regs because um, Ag 2 uh, has to be less than 20 acres, yet we have a conditional use in Ag 2 uh, that requires 20 acres. So um, maybe we ought to address the drafting there. Thanks. Thank you, Commissioner Shanklin. Luke Sinclair, Planning Chair. Uh, Commissioner Carpenter, I see your hand up. Jim Carpenter, Planning Commissioner. I guess this is to Commissioner Shanklin. If we wanted to include a condition about this additional five acres, um, and hearing what Tanya is saying about all that has to go into making that happen, would that be something that you would suggest that we put some time frame on for review to make sure it's happened for the conditional use permit to continue? And if so, what would that time frame be? And I guess that could also go to Tanya about just what we're looking at in the time frame for combining parcels and getting to the necessary standards. What is the general time frame for that? Tanya Voigt, Zoning Director. So we do know that our county surveyors that service the county are most busy um, in the summer months. Um, a lot of times if there's a really treed property, which Aaron Dam has quite a number of trees, in order to find the pins, they actually prefer that the leaves are off of the trees. It makes it easier for them to walk the site. It makes, them, it, makes it easier for them to run their equipment to um, go from pin to pin. So um, I, I'm not quite sure. I think we're fairly close to fall here. I think I would feel comfortable giving a couple months. Um, say 90 days or um, I, I, I would hate to rush it too much because I do know that the surveyors are, are behind and they're busy and they may want um, to wait for the leaves to start to fall off. Jim Carpenter, Planning Commissioner, would it be appropriate to say that it be, should be completed prior to the first year review for the conditional use permit to continue? Would that make sure that there was sufficient time? I, Tanya Voigt, Zoning Director, I would be comfortable with that. If, if it hadn't been completed by that time, then that would prepare us to bring the conditional use permit back to the Planning mm -hmm. Commission. Luke Sinclair, Planning Chair. Commissioner Carpenter, uh, do you have anything else to add to that or follow up? No, that, that sounds, I, I guess if Commissioner Shanklin is on board, I would propose we add that is condition number 16. Um, but I do have a question for the applicants because we're hearing what Tanya told us about truck storage as being temporary. When I drove out there over the weekend, 
and up into the driveway, there were an awful lot of pickup trucks parked along, around. Um, is that going to be a normal situation, or is that just temporary? So I guess, has that been discussed with the applicant, Tanya? And if, if not, I guess the applicant can jump in and tell us just what's going on with all these additional vehicles that are parked out there. Hey, Jim, this is Aaron Applicant. Oh, sorry, Tanya. Go ahead, Aaron. Um, so our building in Perry is on the water easement for the um, water department, and they're actually tearing the parking lot out, making a repair. So five of the vehicles we had to bring here just because our parking lot's being tore up. Um, seven of the diesel trucks in the driveway belong to me, myself. Um, so that's a good portion of them. Um, and then, you know, right now we're still, you know, repairing um, ag exempt only vehicles here. So, and we've been working with Ben and Tanya and Tina and that whole staff to try to get the shop um, done. We've still got some customers that have been loyal to me for years that we still help as much as we can. Um, and as far as the parcel thing, we have a appointment on September 8th with um, the surveyor. Now what, as what Tanya said, our northeast corner is up a rock wall. And he said they don't like digging around in rock walls in the summertime, um, especially due to copperheads. Out here, we've killed seven building fence this week. <laughs> so um, so he's going to come out September 8th and talk to us. It might be something that he moves the date back. But that's the date we have right now with the um, surveyors. That's as soon as they could come out here. So maybe that helps a little bit on the surveying stuff. Tim Carpenter, Planning Commissioner, thanks for that. I I understand there was confusion about all the process, and it's a complicated process because of how the land split up and, and all of these. And I'm certainly happy that you're working so closely with the county to try to resolve all these issues and for answering the questions. Um, <clears throat> so I guess what I just like. I just wanted to add that, that I'm appreciative of how closely you are working and how open you've been with everybody about accomplishing these goals because it is a complex <laughs> process. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you, Commissioner Carpenter, Luke Sinclair Planning Chair. Uh, Commissioner Thomas. Charlie Thomas, Planning Commissioner. I don't think um, any issue brings out more contentious feelings than um, bringing a dog kennel out into the country. I appreciate Aaron and Megan, the superhuman efforts I would say you have done to take care of people's concerns. I, I am not as, um, I don't want to say a rule-based person, um, although that may be accurate. Um, whether you are on 15 acres or 20 acres may technically make a difference, but it looks to me like you have jumped through every hoop as you have encountered it. And I was thinking maybe I could move into the dog kennel as nice as it looked um, so I, I appreciate the effort that you have put in to making this facility neighborhood friendly. Charlie, we appreciate that a lot. We've, we've busted our butts. 
to say the least. <laughs> Thank you, Commissioner Thomas. Commissioner Rexrode, I saw your hand up too, I think. Sure, uh, Commissioner Rexrode, um, just a, a quick plus one on the last two uh, sets of comments. Um, I'm, I'm honestly amazed that uh, these applicants have been able to carve out a successful business given all the conditions and restrictions we've put in front of them. Um, they have shown, I think, um, a lot of very uh, great intention and good faith um, in the work they've done to get to this point. Um, love to see a business like this bringing in revenue from out of state and like to do anything we can to help support that. So I just want to thank them for all the work that they've done. Thanks. Thank you, Commissioner Rexrod, Luke Sinclair, Planning Chair. Commissioner Carter. David Carter, Commissioner. Um, uh, I do have um, one question for staff, and I'm not sure if it's uh, for Tanya or for Catherine. But understanding this 15-acre minimum, um, I, as best as you can, can you, um, do, can you try to explain why you think that minimum exists? Is it to offer the animals more, you know, more open space, or is it you know, to provide a buffer against neighbors? Any, any idea of why that minimum would exist? And I'm asking, it's a relevant question, please. Planning staff, and I might let Tanya answer that because she was part of helping to rewrite the new uh, Douglas County codes. Um, I imagine it's a combination of both of those things, but I'm going to let her weigh in um, to see if she has any insight on why that number appeared. So it's actually a 20 acre minimum. Um, isn't that, I'm correct, right? It's 20 acres. Sorry, I, for, uh, that's, the, that's what I intended to say. Okay. Yes, please continue. Tanya Voigt, Zoning Director. Um, you're right, it's a combination. So. Um, kind of prior to the new zoning regulation changes, a huge portion of our um, kind of complaints in our office were related to dog kennels and illegal dog kennels, not licensed dog kennels necessarily. So um, because we were receiving such a large amount of complaints, we really wanted to increase that buffer. So it went from a 200 buffer to a 500 foot buffer. And really, you can't hardly meet a 500 foot buffer without having to, at least 20 acres, 20 acres or more. Um, and even in this situation, like he has 15 acres currently that's associated 80 acres total, but that 15 acres can't meet that setback. Um, because it's tough, even with 20 acres, to meet that setback. And that was um, really on purpose to try to put these in an area where it, it's less impactful to neighbors. There's more of a buffer between um, the kennel operation and the neighbors, um, just kind of trying to wrap our brain around some way to make the complaints lessen and, um, and just think about, like, the overall impact for the neighbors as well. So... Um, we think it's working. We're, we're excited about it. Um, we have turned away two or three applications at this point where people have reached out to us that are on five acre parcels in a subdivision, three acre parcels in a subdivision, 10 acre parcels zoned AG2 um, with neighbors to the north, south, east, west, every direction. And I think the regulations are keeping these types of operations at bay on really small parcels with very close neighbors. And that was honestly the intention. Thank you, Tanya. David Carter, uh, Commissioner. Um, I, I, the, the, the reason I considered a relevant question is that in the, um, the evaluation under impact on the use of the natural environment, um, 
it was remarked that this kennel is is not on any sensitive land. But from what I can tell from the accompanying illustration, you know, sensitive land, especially steep slopes, um, characterize something like you know, a good fifty percent of the area of the um, of the fifth of the existing fifteen acres. So if the addition of five acres is supposed to provide more, you know, free range um, availability to the dogs. I'd be interested in hearing from the applicants whether they actually intend to make use of that or whether it's more or less just a formality. Because, I mean, overall, aside from that, I, I have to say I'm, I'm extremely impressed with the quality of the information that they've presented. I think, it, you know, this is no puppy mill. This is clearly a quality uh, operation with a lot of care taken to the welfare of the animals and to meeting all the expect, you know, all the expectations and regulations. I think that some of the concerns raised through um, the correspondence are, cl have clearly been addressed uh, or explained. Uh, but so I guess my my only outstanding question uh, for uh, uh, for the dams would be, you know, do you expect actually to make use of this additional five acres to the east? Aaron Dam applicants. So the the trip. So the north side of our property is a lot of woods and drop off, and that has um, horse trails. Our place used to be a horse boarding facility when we bought it. Um, so that's what we use when we walk the dogs. So a lot of our dogs, we go out of the backyard and we go down the hill and there's a actually a small pond and stream in the back that um, the golden retrievers like to play in the water. So we use a lot of that because it's really shaded and it's cool at night. And when you go about 70 feet in the ground, it feels really good during the summertime. It's a lot cooler down there. So we use the trails for walking the dogs and the kids. Um, as far as flatland, the very just south of the house, we have a small paddock. We're actually finishing it, trying to get it right now with the heat, but it's a six foot tall fence, um, small hundred by hundred play field, another play field that we um, set up for um, ju just more exercise area. Um, so we used a little bit more just there south of the house. So during the day, and that's more for the house dogs um, to come out and play um, and run around. So, um, you know, as far as using more than the five acres, I don't know how to answer that, I guess. Um, we just use... I'm using as much area as I can. I'm trying to provide as much shade um, and, you know, really thinking about the sound with the neighbors. Um, as far as the drop-off land, we just use it for trails, um, as far as walking trails for the dogs. Thank you, Mr. Dam, David Carter, Commissioner. With that, um, you know, I, I think in, in my mind that addresses um, the concerns that, uh, that Commissioner Shanklin raised and, uh, you know, I have no further concerns about this. I, I think this looks like a uh, a, a great um, enterprise, and uh, I'm inclined to support the uh, the CUP. Thank you, Commissioner Carter, Luke Sinclair, Chair. Do any other commissioners have uh, comments or concerns they want to raise um, and air out, or does anybody um, have a motion they'd like to make? Commissioner Rexford? Yeah, the time is right. Um, I would uh, make a motion. Um, located at 1924 East 950 Road, 
based on the findings of the staff report and subject to the included conditions and to that add a 16th condition, which says that we will validate that the 20 acre minimum parcel has been addressed at the first yearly inspection. Thank you, Commissioner Rex Rhodes. We have a motion um, to uh, approve the conditional use permit with the addition, as stated, I guess, in the staff report with the addition of that 16th condition. Do we have a second? Commissioner uh, Shanklin, I think, beat everybody um, to the punch. I'll second. Point of order, Mr. Chair, from, from staff here. We dropped audio in the room while Commissioner Rexford was making the motion. We were wondering, could he restate the motion so we make sure we have it correct, please? I'll do my best. All right. Please, um, Commissioner Rexford, please make sure you read all 15 uh, conditions, too. Seriously, you'd like that? No, okay, no, good. Thank you. <laughs> so, Commissioner Rexford, I move that we approve the conditional use permit CUP 21 00178 for commercial dog kennel use located at 1924 East 950 Road based on the findings in the staff report and subject to their conditions. With the addition of a 16th condition, which says that the 20 acre minimum parcel size will be uh, met um, by the first annual review. Thank you, Commissioner Rexford, Luke Sinclair, Chair. We have a motion to approve, as stated by Commissioner Rexford. We have a second. We have a second by Commissioner Shanklin. Yes. Um, are there any other comments or discussion that needs to be had before we vote? Not seeing any, so uh, Jeff, I guess, could you read the roll? Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services. Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. Commissioner Butler? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Rexroad? Yes. Commissioner Shanklin? Yes. Commissioner Sinclair? Yes. Commissioner Thomas? Yes. Motion passes eight to zero. Very good, Luke Sinclair, uh, Chair. Thank you to the applicant and to uh, the public who came to speak. That brings us to our second item. Um, which is to consider approving a request to rezone uh, Z2100185, approximately 0.05 acre, uh, acres from RS5, single dwelling residential district, to RM24, multi-dwelling residential district, located at 1734 Vermont Street. Um, and I believe for staff, we have Luke Mortensen to present. Good evening, Commissioners. Luke Mortensen, Planner with Planning and Development Services Department. As Chair Sinclair just noted, item number two is a request to rezone approximately 0.05 acres from RS5, that's our single dwelling residential district, to RM24, a multi-dwelling residential district. Um, I'll just note that for notification purposes, we had to assign the subject property an address of 1734 Vermont Street. Um, the subject property is technically unaddressed and it exists by its parcel number. So the staff report's recommendation reflects this. And then on page 57 of the full uh, agenda packet, there's an aerial image that indicates the proposed rezoning area and then the you know, residential structure that's addressed is on Vermont Street. So the subject property is a very small portion of multiple platted lots. Um, it has no frontage along Massachusetts Street or Vermont Street. Um, 
At this time, the applicant has also submitted for a minor subdivision replat to combine the small subject property with the larger property to the east that is addressed as 1733 Massachusetts Street. Um, that is a former gas and fuel sales use across from uh, the Dillon's grocery store. The applicant proposes to combine the subject property and 1733 Massachusetts Street into a single developable lot. Um, since that former gas station parcel was recently rezoned to RM24, um, the applicant would like to bring that future proposed single developable lot under a common zoning district. The City Commission accepted the Planning Commission's recommendation for approval of the gas station property um, at their April 13th meeting. Staff does not believe that this proposed rezoning on that smaller subject property would constitute an intrusion of RM zoning into an RS area. Uh, it is a small expansion of the existing adjacent RM24 district, which is already located to the east and to the north. Staff does generally not support split zone properties, which um, would result if this proposed rezoning was denied and the minor subdivision was approved. Um, that future single lot would have both RM24 and RS5 zoning on it. <clears throat> The subject property has never been developed um, per aerial historic aerial imagery. Um, the proposed rezoning would allow that small property to be part of a larger developable area. The applicant has submitted a site plan for a multi-dwelling use um, where the gas station structure currently sits. Um, part of that site planning process includes ensuring that uh, future development has sufficient uh, buffering, sufficient landscaping, uh, sufficient off-street parking and the proper setbacks so that it won't adversely affect adjacent properties and adjacent zoning districts. I'll note two recent items that were not included in the staff report as they uh, occurred after the staff report was submitted. Um, first, the subject property is encumbered by a locally listed historic environs. Um, at their July meeting, the Historic Resources Commission forwarded a recommendation for approval regarding the, the, the zoning component of this project. The applicant will continue to work with the Historic Resources Commission and the Historic Resources Administrator um, during the site planning process to ensure compliance with uh, those necessary standards. Second, um, and I'm not sure if this made it into your packets, but we did receive an email communication this morning from the property owner of 1734 Vermont Street. So that's the residential, residential structure directly to the west. Um, she was concerned um, that the existing sanitary sewer main, which runs through uh, a portion of that property, um, it's not located in a platted easement at this time. And so she had concerns about past um, uh, she was not able to access that main uh, in, in the past year. So part of the condition of approval of this project's minor subdivisions so that administrative component um, would be getting an easement platted and recorded on the new document. So um, that would be a condition of approval and would, would likely solve this, the problem that she communicated. Other than that, we did have a, some communications from the property owner to the north. Um, she was not concerned with the zoning component. She just, you know, communicated her thoughts about the overall project. With that, I will wrap up and note that the staff um, recommends approval of this proposed rezoning from RS5 single dwelling residential district to RM24 multi-dwelling residential district based on the findings noted in the staff report. With that, I'm happy to stand for questions, and I do believe uh, the applicant, Paul, is here with us tonight. Thank you, Luke. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Uh, Mr. Warner, I guess that would be you. 
It would. Good evening, everybody. Um, yes, this is a is an odd duck. It's a very tiny piece of property. Um, we tried to do a little research and and never really figured out why the property was uh, separated or how it got separated from uh, Vermont Street property or um, or however it wound up where it did. Um, thing I think Luke addressed everything. Um, we think zoning it, uh, the same zoning as we have on Massachusetts Street certainly makes sense. I will note we did try to zone it open space um, just to alleviate a possible concern of neighbors thinking we're trying to encroach into the into the division of RS5. And because of our development code and some fluky things in there, we weren't allowed to do that. So. Um, the next best thing was to make it match the zoning on 1733 Massachusetts. And um, we look for your support and keep going so we can get our site plan in front of the HRC. Um, that's all I have. Happy to answer any questions. Thank you, Mr. Warner. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Um, is there anybody on uh, the call, either by Zoom or on phone um, or in the chambers that would like to offer public comment on this? And if so, raise your hand or somehow uh, uh, show that you'd like to make comments and keep them to three minutes, if you will. Kyle Kobe with planning. Um, there's nobody in the room to speak on this item. Um, I don't see any hands going up now. I believe that we had one participant who might have wanted to participate but uh, was having some technical difficulties earlier. Uh, I'm not seeing any hands going up or microphones being unmuted though, so that might be inaccurate. Okay, thank you, Kyle. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Um, with that then, I guess I'll bring it back to the commission. Um, does anybody have any questions or comments for the applicant or for staff? Hi, um, I don't know if you can hear me. Yes, and um, I, I received a, a letter uh, notifying about this um, permission or um, issue. I'm sorry, I'm not familiar uh, with this procedure. Uh, I am curious why it is still actually listed as uh, owned by um, the owner of the 1734 Vermont property. Okay. Uh, Ms. Scanlon, did you comment or did you have a I apologize. Um, well, I was wanting to know, uh, I was hoping to hear more uh, thoughts on this just to determine if I did have more questions. Um, as far as the, the ownership of that parcel, it appears on the Lawrence Douglas County appraisers as actually still belonging to the 1734 Vermont Street property. Uh, I have looked at the paperwork. It appears to be conjoined with the, the vape store. Uh, there was something in there about uh, the Dillon's across the street, and I don't know if that was just to show why it potentially is is uh, good for uh, multi-residential. Uh, parking would be an issue, and traffic uh, incumbent afterwards. 
potentially down Vermont Street. So those were my concerns and uh, things that I had noticed. Okay, thank you, ma'am. Thank you, ma'am. If you wouldn't mind muting your device. Mr. Werner, then, with that additional comment, um, feel free to offer a, a response to what you could catch there. Um, I'll try. So, um, you know, well, parking, all that stuff gets addressed with the site plan. So that's kind of the next step in this thing. Um, the ownership, it, it wasn't owned by the person on Vermont Street. So that's one of the more unusual pieces of the puzzle. Um, maybe uh, when we first made the application, it, uh, it was... It, Imran, our client, had not closed on it yet, who owned 1733. So depending on when she looked at the ownership on the Douglas County website, it may have shown a different person. But it was still technically, I would, I would consider it a third party because it wasn't owned by the people on Vermont or uh, my client yet. But as of, as of now, uh, my understanding is our client owns the property. Uh, I'm happy to answer anything else, but I... I Feel like that's what um, Mrs. Scanlon was asking about. Yeah. Thank you, Mr. Warner, Luke Sinclair, Chair. With that, then I'll bring it back to the commission. Are there any commission? Oh, before that, uh, Luke. Yep, uh, Luke Warrenson, Plan Development Services. I do also want to correct myself quickly. I pulled up the email communication that we got this morning, and the and the woman who contacted us uh, lives at 1736 Vermont. I think I said 1734. So it is not adjacent to the west; it's adjacent to the southwest. Thanks for that clarification, um, Luke Sinclair Chair. Are there any commissioners that have any questions or concerns? Commissioner Carter. David Carter, uh, Commissioner. I, I guess I would just state, um, I, I thought I had some concerns, but uh, inspecting the site, um, and I, I was concerned about the encroachment on the neighbor uh, to the west on Vermont, but I think the fact that uh, a garage for that property is adjacent to um, the, the parcel in question um, really reduces my concerns. I think the, uh, the concept plan is um is is well thought out i think the you know using it for um for parking and landscaping minimizes the impact on the neighbors and um so uh, so i in contrary to stating a concern i think based on uh the material presented here i don't have any concerns thank you thank you commissioner carter does anybody else have any thoughts on this one? Commissioner Carpenter. I just have to say, Jim Carpenter, Planning Commissioner, I just have to say this is one of the oddest pieces of property I've seen ever pop up at a meeting. With It's a complete mystery <clears throat> how this little strip is there. And it makes sense that it has to go one way or the other either to 1734 or to uh, Vermont or <clears throat> the property on Massachusetts for the new, what I assume is going to be a apartment building with the zoning that it now has. Um, 
and those of us on here that have been through property law know first to the courthouse uh, gets the recording. So it's going with the one on Massachusetts. So it only makes sense to have it zoned the way that it is zoned on Massachusetts. It gives a little more room to help with that parking situation. So we don't have the same situation that involved over time to the property just to the north where people are pulling in and out directly onto Massachusetts. So I assume that's gonna be part of the site plan to make sure we don't have that. Um, and I'll certainly be glad to see that desolate gas station disappear. Uh, it makes a lot of sense to have additional housing next to what's already there, um, as opposed to this abandoned gas station that's been a blight for probably 15 years, trying to make a go of it and mostly being empty. So I don't have any real problem with this. I think we're going to need Luke to restate the, the issue about the easement to make sure that we can make that the condition because I didn't really catch all the wording, but we want to have that correct. And I assume, Mr. Warner, you have no problem with making sure that the easements are there. Is that correct? Okay. Well, I got a positive head nod, but no, nothing verbally on the record. But uh, so that's... So I, I think we have no issue. We have no issue with the easement. Yeah. So I think the request is reasonable with that one additional condition that's been identified by staff. Thank you, Commissioner Carpenter, Luke Sinclair, Chair. Uh, Luke Mortensen, um, I think you raised your hand. You were going to say something before, but then could you also refresh our minds about the uh, condition with respect to the easement? Yeah, a couple things. I um, <clears throat> just start kind of repeat something that Paul said, and this may calm uh, Miss Scanlon's nerves if she has any part of the, um, you know, any of the future impact items or anything like that, parking, landscaping, all that stuff will be addressed with the site planning process. And this is going to be a major site plan. So I I'm not fully aware where it is in the process yet, but there either has been or will be neighbor notice for this level of site plan. Um, and, and all those items will be addressed at that time. Um, I'll just mention a little bit. I did some historical research as part of this rezoning application and, and it was a little bit confusing. My take is it maybe came about sometime between 1970 and 1990. That seems to be when some of that when some of the gas station business was taking place. And that was the first time that I saw this little piece referenced. By no means is that, you know, the gospel truth. Um, and then finally, as far as the um, condition of the easement, I don't know if it's totally necessary to tie it to the rezoning. Um, that would be, I mean, that having that easement dedicated is standard process in the minor subdivision replot application and, and that process. So we'll, we can get it at that point as well if you'd like to keep the rezoning a little bit cleaner. Thank you, Luke. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Um, are there other questions or comments? I guess I, I would um, follow up with Commissioner Carpenter based on what Luke said about the different stages at which the easement could be picked up. Um, do you feel comfortable not including that as a condition in this at this stage, or do should we just still sweep it in? Yeah, Jim Carpenter, planning for sure. Yes, I mean I was just following up on what Luke's first comment about the need for that was. 
but his follow-up about in combining these properties, those easements are going to just be generated and they'll be on the site plan and we won't have to do anything else about that. So I don't think we really need it as part of the rezoning. Thank you, Luke Sinclair Chair. Uh, I agree, I guess, well, before I say that, I was Commissioner Carter, you raise your hand, go ahead. That's quite all right. Uh, David Carter, Commissioner, please continue. Uh, Mr. Chair, I was just saying, if, the, if you think the time is right, I'm ready to make a motion. Yeah, well, Luke Sinclair Chair, I was just going to simply add that I, I agreed with your comments you made and with uh, Commissioner Carpenter's about how these, uh, my comfort level with this, I think it's, it goes, uh, goes along with the project that we recommended approval on earlier. Um, and uh, and seems to have everything covered in, in terms of the concerns. So I think it's, it, it is the right time. And if anybody else has comments, they can raise them, I suppose, before we vote. Okay. Um, David Carter, Commissioner, with that in mind, I would move that we approve rezoning Z-21-00185, approximately 0 0.05 acres from RS5 district to RM24 district, located at 1734 Vermont Street. Um, and uh, I'll go ahead and read the parcel number for the record. Uh, parcel number 103-06-20-16-029.00-0 based on the findings presented in the staff report and forwarding to the city commission with a recommendation for approval. Luke Sinclair, Chair, thank you. We have a, uh, thank you, Commissioner Carpenter, or Carter, excuse me, we have a, a motion to recommend approval. Is there a second? Commissioner Carpenter, I see you second that. Uh, before we take a vote, are there any other comments that any commissioners wish to make? I'm not seeing any. Uh, Jeff, could you read the roll, please? Yep. Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services. Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. Commissioner Butler? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Rexrode? Yes. Commissioner Shanklin? Yes. Commissioner Sinclair? Yes. Commissioner Thomas? Yes. Motion passes eight to zero. Very well, thank you, Luke Sinclair Chair. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Warner and Luke Mortensen for that. Uh, that takes us to item number three on our agenda here, um, which is to consider approving a variance associated with a minor subdivision, MS2100120, from um, the right-of-way width along the, a principal arterial for quick, quick shop, excuse me, subdivision located at 2100 West 25th Street. Um, and we have Catherine Week uh, again to present on this one. Good evening again, Commissioners, Catherine Week, Planning Department. So, and as Chair Sinclair stated, I am here to present a variance request that is associated with the minor subdivision and is 2100120. Uh, just to remind you, the minor subdivisions are processed administratively. However, the planning commission approval is required um, anytime a variance from subdivision design standard regulation. So this minor subdivision is currently under review and um, and as with any variance request, there are three criteria that are considered for variance request. 
those being one, the district application um, of the code would create an unnecessary hardship. Two, that the harmony um, is maintained for its intended purpose, of that the code's intended purpose. It's still in harmony with the intent. And three, that public health, safety, and welfare are still being protected. So this particular uh, variance request is to vary, um, to reduce the right-of-way width from 150 feet, which is required for principal arterials, down to 110 feet along Iowa Street. Iowa Street being the principal arterial. This property is located at 2100 West 25th Street, which is at the northwest corner of the intersection of Iowa and 25th Street. So the minor subdivision is proposing to combine two uh, lots into one parcel for the development of the quick, ship, quick shop property. So in analyzing the criteria, um, staff did find that uh, this particular request does meet the criteria. Uh, Iowa has been completed. And in addition to that, um, it was widened and improved in 2013 and no additional right of way was required at that time. The city engineer also supports this variance request as there are no future plans to widen Iowa at this time. So there will be no additional need for increase, increasing that. So currently there's 110 feet um, at this location, which is typical along this particular stretch of Iowa Street. It varies from about 90 to 110. Um, and so this request is to reduce that 150 feet requirement down to the existing condition, 110 feet. So criteria two, uh, the variance is in harmony with the intended purpose of the code. Um, this particular requirement is in place for new developments typically um, that they want to make sure that all design standards for street improvements are maintained. Sometimes in infill developments and redevelopment projects where existing conditions occur, uh, that come before you, this is one of those instances. So staff feels that it is still in harmony uh, with the intent of the purpose of the regulations. Uh, all of the property in this area was platted and developed into different um, uh, flats and uh, capital improvement projects for the uh, improvements of Iowa Street and the right of way that was required um, at the time for the safe safe operation of Iowa Street that uh, was in place. So staff feels that the request is still in harmony um, in keeping with the intent of the code to provide safe operation for streets and right away. And three, that public health and safety is uh, still being uh, protected. Again, staff found that it met this criteria as well, that Iowa is already established, is in operation, safe operation is still being maintained. So there wouldn't be any change or reduction in the population. And so staff is recommending that you approve variance request to reduce uh, the right-of-way width from 150 feet to the existing condition of 110 at this particular location at 21. Thank you, Catherine. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Is the applicant on the line? Yeah, this is Jeff Lawback, uh, SBB Engineering, uh, the civil consultant for a quick shop on this project. Uh, the only thing I would have to add to uh, Catherine's presentation, uh, I did pull up the plat from the property to the south, uh, south of 25th Street, 
or which would be at the southwest corner of Iowa in 25th. And it was platted uh, just two years ago uh, in 2019. And there was only uh, 50 feet of right of way dedicated uh, with that plat. Um, and we're dedicating uh, 60 feet uh, with our plat. Um, uh, I'm here to answer any other questions that uh, the commission may have. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Lawback, Luke Sinclair, Chair. Are there, uh, Kyle, is there anybody in the chambers that, um, well, is there anyone in the chambers you know of that wants to speak on this? Kyle Kobe with planning. There's nobody in the chamber to speak okay. on this item. And um, at, uh, go ahead. Uh, at this point, I am not seeing any hands going up. Give me just one second. Uh, I am not seeing any hands going up at this time via Zoom. Okay, thank you. Luke Sinclair, Chair, uh, we'll bring it up to the Commission. Um, th does anybody have any thoughts on this particular request? I mean, I, I guess, Luke Sinclair, Chair, not to throw the conversation, but this seems to be consistent with some of the other uh, variances of this nature that have come in front of us. Um, and I think uh, Commissioner Willie is the one that usually references them as cleanup items. Uh, and I, I, I don't have any particular concerns with this. Uh, if anyone does, though, please do raise them or um, as you see fit, I guess. Or feel free to make a motion. Commissioner Carter. Uh, David Carter, Commissioner. I would yield to Commissioner Ashworth if she has, uh, okay. Um, if, uh, there, if there's no other commentary, I'd, I'd be happy to make a motion. And it looks like I'll, I'll go ahead. Um, I would move to approve the variance requested for minor subdivision MS-21-00120 from required right of way width along a principal arterial per section 20-810 uh, sub E sub 5 sub I to reduce the right of way width from 150 feet to 110 feet along Iowa Street, a principal arterial road in accordance with the provisions per section 20-813 uh, um, sub G of the Land Development Code for property located at 2100 West 25th Street. Thank you, Commissioner Carter. Uh, a motion to approve the variance is out there. Is there a second? Commissioner Ashworth, seconding uh, by motion. Um, unless there's any other comments, um, which I doubt there is, I guess we'll I'll offer it. Are there any comments anybody <laughs> wants to make before we vote? <laughs> I'm not seeing any. Jeff, could you read the roll? Certainly. Jeff Crick, Planning and Development Services. Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. Commissioner Butler? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Rexrod? Yes. Commissioner Shanklin? Yes. 
Commissioner Sinclair? Yes. Commissioner Thomas? Yes. Motion passes eight to zero. Thank you very much. Um, that actually concludes the regular agenda section of our uh, meeting. The, the last three items we had were either deferred or uh, the text amendments were not initiated. So we're not gonna consider those. But we do have one more item in our miscellaneous new or old business section. Um, and that is to consider a variance from the sidewalk requirements for um, minor subdivision MS2100194 located at 700 Lincoln Street. Uh, and with that, I think we have Kyle Kobe to present. Thank you very much, Kyle Kobe with planning. Um, as you just stated, the final item for, for you tonight is to consider a request for variance from sidewalk requ requirements associated with minor subdivision at 700 Lincoln Street. Subject property is currently undeveloped and platted as nine separate lots. The applicant proposes to replat this property as three individual lots. A site plan application has also been filed for this property, which proposes adding three structures to be used as a construction sales and service use. There are currently no sidewalks on this stretch of Lincoln Street. The property was originally platted as a part of Simpson's Central Subdivision in 1871. Lincoln Street is classified as a local street, which requires a five-foot sidewalk on both sides of the street. The proposed minor subdivision has approximately 410 linear feet of street frontage. City engineer does not support deferring the installation of sidewalk at this location due to the size of the property and the presence of sidewalk nearby across North 7th Street. There are three criteria for consideration of technical variances outlined in section 20-813G of the subdivision regulations. The first criteria is strict application of these regulations will create an unnecessary hardship upon the subdivider. While there are contextual issues on this property pertaining to regulatory floodplain, which will require some kind of engineered solution, staff's of the opinion that the requirement to install sidewalk at this location does not constitute an unnecessary hardship. The second criteria is the proposed variances in harmony with the intended purpose of these regulations. As outlined in the report for this item, the purpose of these standards is to provide harmonious and orderly development, which includes in part continuity of the transportation network. Staffs of the opinion that granting a variance from the requirement to install sidewalks is opposed to the purpose and intent of the regulations, which is to bring properties into compliance with city standards as development occurs. Criteria three is the public health, safety, and welfare will be protected. While there are not sidewalks in the, to the east and west of the subject property that this development would immediately connect into, as other properties develop or redevelop, additional connections will be established and the pedestrian infrastructure in this area and on this street will grow together. Granting a variance for sidewalk installation at this location would create a permanent gap in the network. In conclusion, staff recommends denial of the variance request to remove the requirement to provide sidewalk for minor subdivision MS21-00194. And that concludes my presentation and I um, can confirm that the applicant is here with us tonight as well. Thank you, Kyle, Luke Sinclair, Chair, uh, applicant. Who, or I guess, who do we have in line for the applicant? Uh, Paul Warner, Paul Warner Architects, and Joy Ray is with me. Um, she's going to do a little help uh, along the way and share her screen um, to get the site plan up in front of you guys. And Casey McLennan rep represents the ownership group um, if you have any questions for the owners. Um, I'll probably go off on a little tangent here to start with. Um, sidewalks have obviously become a, a big conversation lately that... Uh, 
personally think um, there needs to be a bigger conversation about the sidewalks, a study session or something that you guys can help with. Um, we really don't think it this what is happening now is working for the city. It's not working for the developers, the homeowners, and it's certainly not accomplishing the goal of creating this network that keeps being mentioned. The main point we think the city staff is missing about the sidewalk is that one size does not fit all. We're treating every single portion of the city the exact same. Um, we wish the city would realize this. A year ago, for instance, we wouldn't even be here. We would have signed an agreement not to protest. And when the city was ready to install more sidewalks and other property was available, we could have, um, that would be done. The agreement would be exercised and we'd have more sidewalks. Um, we're not sure that every, every street in the city needs a sidewalk on both sides of the street. Um, over the last year, I think we've all learned a great deal about the manufacturing of concrete and the impacts on the environment. And so maybe discussing the sidewalks and the locations of everywhere um, could be revisited again. Uh, we also feel the sidewalk variances are not the best use of planning staff and the commissioner's time. Um, there seems to be about one every month that's being brought to the commission. And you guys get to decide. Um, the planning staff has to write court. The city engineer um, gets to make his decision, but the planning staff's doing all of the work. As you just mentioned, Chair, um, on your agenda tonight, there were two other text amendments that our firm tried to get initiated. Actually, the city commission didn't initiate them, as you mentioned, and the main reason they used was because the planning staff has too much on their plate and they didn't want to give them any more work. So it seems like there may be a better process um, going forward to discuss the sidewalks and when variances are needed and or not or waivers, and we could dis discuss them in a different manner. Um, Joy, you want to put up the site plan? Please. She can do that. <clears throat> so anyway, focusing on this specific site, um, there's a site that we've been working on with some real development issues. It's an infill site as, um, you know, another word that we're supposed to be supporting, but it also shows that sometimes the infill sites uh, having to meet current standards just makes it really difficult. Uh, this property is in the floodplain, which means we're having to fill most of the site two to three feet um, in order to develop it. We have replatted the property to clean up all the old vacations, the old lot lines. The street is not in good shape, does not have a curb. Um, we have water entering our site from the northeast from off the street. There are drainage is issues already um, along our south property line and especially along the southwest side. There are two large sanitary sewers that run along the west side. It's just a difficult site. And I, I would think most of you guys are aware that, you know, throughout North Lawrence, there, the streets have no curbs and almost all of the drainage goes into open ditches. Um, that's the way they handle the stormwater. Drainage ditches can handle way more water than an enclosed pipe can. And that is how the site was designed, along with large drainage swales as shown on the site plan. Joy, do we have something that shows the drainage improvement? There you go. So 
to the west, that swell is all across um, city property. And that's what's needed in order to get the water off our site and into an actual storm sewer. Draining the buildings and parking lot to the north works well for the site. If it's going to a ditch, it doesn't work very well. If there's a sidewalk there, that would cause us to add more storm boxes, increase the grade, bringing in more fill, and the grade would get even higher, extending the storm pipes to connect the two pipes at our entrances. And we still have to provide a ditch because the water is still running off the street into our site. We can't drain the water to the south any more than we already are because of the property to the southwest already has issues and we're um, limited with how wide we can uh, make that swell at the southwest corner. Um, I also think we have made the right choice with three buildings. They're not very big, they're 4,300 square feet. So they fit on the site or provide most uh, appropriate parking. We only have two entrances to try to keep that swale um, as large as we can. We also feel like we are offering a reasonable compromise that actually gets something useful. Extending the sidewalk to the park would provide a place for people to walk and leaving this site. Installing the sidewalks as requested doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't go to the east or the that has a better chance of a sidewalk sooner. It would seem that there's a better argument that adding a sidewalk to Lions Park is something the city could do sooner and certainly easier than trying to extend the sidewalks going east or west from our site. We understand when they mentioned that, you know, when, site, when sites redevelop, that that site to the east has been there for next to ever. I don't see that redeveloping. There's a house, which unless that gets replatted or site planned, which houses aren't site planned, then there's no reason for a sidewalk to be installed there. Again, I feel good that we aren't just asking not to install any sidewalks. That's not what we're asking. We think we're trying to propose something that seems more reasonable and gets a better solution sooner than just adding 400 feet of sidewalk on our site. Um, I'd really like you to consider our proposal. We think it makes sense for the use and the zoning and especially with what's across the street. Um, we can talk about why the city park doesn't have any sidewalks. Um, <laughs> after this, I would encourage that maybe with uh, some of your guys' help and city staff, maybe we can have them revisit sidewalk policy and talk about where um, sidewalks really should be run and if we need them everywhere. So that's all I have right now. Happy to answer any questions. I'm sure you'll have some. And uh, like I said, Joy is here and one of the property owners is here as well. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Warner, Luke Sinclair Chair. Do we have any members of the public that would like to make comments on this? If you're on the call, raise your hand digitally. If you're in person, walk up to the podium, I guess. And Kyle, can you help Kyle me Kobe. Kyle Kobe with planning. I can confirm there's nobody in the room to speak on this item. And I 
do not see any hands going up via Zoom either. Thank you, Luke Sinclair Chair. Then I'll bring it back to the commission so we can talk about it. Um, and at some point, I guess, uh, in the conversation, I guess I, I'd, it'd be nice to hear from, um, I think, Jeff uh, about sort of whether and when sidewalks um, are going to be discussed as part of the um, uh, process of revising the land development code. Um, but and I don't know if that a good time for that is now or, or just some point in the further in the conversation. Um, so if, if someone has pressing comments or questions they want to raise now, you know, raise your hand. That'd be great. Otherwise, um, I'd be interested in hearing that from Jeff. Seeing no comments, I guess I'll go ahead and jump in, uh, Mr. Chair. Jeff Crick, Planning and Development Services. The, the sidewalk thing and the question related to that is, I think, one that would get picked up, and I would expect it to be picked up as part of the land development code revision process and, and you know, go through that public process with both the community, multimodal transportation commission, yourselves, and also the city commission as part of that, that grand, uh, greater discussion. I think it is probably on the horizon in many ways. We've also worked with MSO and the Metropolitan Planning Organization to try to work and refine the, the sidewalks and kind of work through possibilities and in details with that. And that's been ongoing for a couple months and we're still working through that. We haven't been able to get to it as fast as we would have liked to. We've had a couple of other things that have popped up, but it is something that we are putting effort and resources into to kind of resolve and work through currently too ahead of the revision process. Thanks, Jeff. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Um, I think Mr. Warner's right. I mean, these have come up a few times of late, and so it's sort of a recurring thing. And I feel like we've 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 gone round and round. I think in our discussions about it, and so I think we're we need to have a discussion again tonight. But I think it's worth considering too that we've we've got this um, upcoming overhaul. Um, or at least revision of the land development code that's going to implicate this. Uh, and, and I think a lot of our concerns or a lot of the things we wrestle with as we discuss these particular variances, hopefully will get addressed in that process. Because um, I've, I've said before, I think on these, by and large, I feel like the commission's hands are not tied completely, but it, it's just a real, um, it's a real hard test for an applicant to pass. Uh, um, on, on these three factors that they have to meet. Um, but I, I just wanted to raise that and get Jeff's thoughts on it. Let's, I'd be interested in hearing what other commissioners have to have to think, any questions they have or, or, or comments. Uh, Commissioner Thomas. Uh, Charlie Thomas, Commissioner. Uh, I'm not sure I um, am knowledgeable enough um, to understand everything that Paul was saying. So I would like to hear from those of you who do understand is what Paul was saying. Does that make sense to not have that 410 feet of sidewalk, uh, a sidewalk to nowhere? Uh, does that make sense on what he was saying to help me understand? Luke Sinclair Chair, does any commissioner want to respond to that? I'm guessing there's going to be divergent opinions on it. 
Commissioner Rexroad. Yeah, so uh, Commissioner Rexroad, um, uh, Commissioner Thomas, I can't begin to claim that I'm an expert on that. Um, I can tell you only that as I listen to uh, to Paul describe the situation, um, it, it does seem that there are some problems there that are created by the very thing that our, our code wants us to do. Um, uh, and it, the solution that he's offered in my mind um, makes some sense. Um, I, have, I have two questions, though, to help me get my mind around this a little bit more. Um, as, I, as I look at the aerial of this area, I see a, what looks like a relatively new um, section of housing that was built, and I, I can't seem to pick up any sidewalks there. Um, is there someone from the, from the city staff maybe that could talk a little bit about how that decision was made and is there an agreement or some something about those that could we could apply here um, and then the second question will be for you paul um, uh, if you did have some sort of a, a path to deferral of a sidewalk requirement now but an agreement that one would happen later how would you accommodate that in your plans so that you could meet the significant issues you talked about in terms of uh, you know, drainage into, into sewers and in particularly um, the difference in grade that would be required. Answering both, uh, I noticed the houses um, just like you did. Um, we pulled the plant, they were um, built in 2016, 2017, so they're not very old. Um, that's part of the other reason that we're pushing to put the sidewalk on the north side and have the city do it is that those houses, you know, people there every day, they would get certainly more use out of the sidewalk to walk to the park. Um, to your other point, we would certainly sign an agreement not to protest. I think if there was a bigger, um, at the time the sidewalks were to go in on the south side, that there would be other options available. Um, you know, the street could be regraded a little bit depending on how big of an improvement we would be looking at, um, knowing that a sidewalk would be going to the west and to that storm sewer would open up a different, um, some different options that right now we have to go around that house. So we would certainly try to do everything that, to not impede um, the improvement somewhere down the road. Um, which we think we can do. Um, it just would, it opens up other options if it's a bigger improvement on the south side of the street. Hopefully that answers your question. It does, thank you. City staff, do you, is, there, is there any knowledge or, or, or information about why sidewalks were not required as a part of the housing development there? Or is there some you know promise to, to complete or some other method of remedy in place? Hi, Kobe with planning. I do not have any additional information that um, I know for certain about that development. I um, don't know if maybe one of the other folks in the room might have more knowledge of it. Um, yeah, I, I don't have any details to give about the adjacent platted properties nearby. Okay, just one final question. Thank you, Commissioner Rector, just one final question. Um, Given this area seems to rely on ditches along roads for handling uh, removal of water, if we ask um, the applicant to put a sidewalk in and, and fundamentally change the way 
water is handled and then before that larger question is answered for the entire area, would that create a situation where we might have to go back and redo what we've asked the applicants to put in? Mm. I'm not sure who that question is to be, to be addressed to. Jeff Craig, Planning Development Services. Commissioner Rex, would you mind stating that question again, please? Sure. I'll try, Commissioner Rex, I'll try to do it more clearly. Um, it seems that uh, the method for handling uh, water in this area, and I've seen it larger in, in, uh, in North Lawrence, is through ditches along roads. And if we make a fundamental change of that in this particular case to accommodate the request for sidewalk, um, that, that is a different method of handling that than anywhere else in North Lawrence. Is there, will there, is there going to be some effort made as a part of the overall planning effort to fundamentally change away from ditches as a way to manage water runoff? And if we applied that, what I'm wondering is, will that be consistent with what we're asking uh, the applicant to do today, or do we know that what we're asking the applicant to do to manage wastewater runoff will be the model that we apply to everywhere else in North Lawrence as it's developed? Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services. Um, we did, as part of this process, we engaged with municipal services and operations, and that includes Matt Bondar, who's our, our stormwater expert, and the details that he's shared with us is that there's a lot of North Lawrence is a little bit of a, an animal unto itself in, in the core of a stormwater. So it is one of those situations where the solution on one street may not work on the other street, given the soils or contours or any other details there. But as part of this, we did in, consult with them and they seem to indicate that they didn't have a, the concern and similar issues that they may have in other parts of North Lawrence. Uh, to your question about a, a, a broader holistic plan for North Lawrence, I know that uh, MSO is working on, on looking at the area and doing some of those revisions and studies as, as part of some of the planning work that they're going to do. But I don't know if they have a, a, a position or a stance on what that looks like ultimately yet that I'm aware of. Thank you. Looks and clear, Chair. Uh, Commissioner Thomas, I see your hand up. Charlie Thomas, Commissioner. Uh, Paul, I, I thought I heard you say that had this been a year earlier, that having the 410 feet of sidewalk would not be the issue that it is today. Is that correct? That is correct. Um, I may be off a little bit a year, 14 months ago. Um, clear, clearly, MSO had started enforcing the subdivision regulations, whether that means they weren't enforcing them before or just uh, agreeing to do these agreements not to protest on their own. But just a year and a half ago, we did some lot splits on Walnut Street. We signed an agreement not to protest. Four months after that, I split some lots on Elm Street. We did an agreement not to protest. Two months after that, we re-split some lots on Elm Street and found out that now you have to install sidewalks. Um, at that time, that was actually an easier fix. So um, the, the contract purchaser went and did it. Um, as the chair, Mr. Sinclair said, I think you guys have seen one of these almost every month. 
Um, the one I would be frustrated about is even when the city engineer agrees that the sidewalk shouldn't go in, it, it still comes to you, which takes staff's time and your time. Um, but we, uh, to both comments about Matt Bond, Matt Bond's the one who we worked with on creating this entire drainage well. Um, I, to add on to Commissioner Reckroad's comments, I think still putting, obviously, putting the sidewalk in today without knowing um, what happens with that property to the east, if that property redevelops. Um, what we've done with our drainage, I, I can't tell you that that's going to work with that guy because um, that's not, the whole system isn't being designed. Um, I think it certainly makes more sense to design the system when the entire system's going in, um, whether that means from 7th Street um, past us and past the east um, seems to make more sense, uh, at least in our minds. And again, I think if we weren't even proposing um, any sidewalk or any connection to where there are sidewalks like there are across the street, I think that's a slightly different argument. Um, but this gives a chance with the park and sidewalks to get to our site and people who are walking to get to somewhere else where they can walk on a sidewalk. So in our mind, again, I think that makes sense, but there's no doubt that Bond is the guy that's helping us all through where this goes. So hopefully that answers your question. I can I can tell you more stories about which um, approvals of sidewalks got approved and which didn't, but um, I don't want to wear you guys out yet. So thank you. Charlie Thomas, Planning Commissioner. I, I, I am, since it's only my second meeting, I am unsure if we are, as a commission, are bound uh, to simply follow the rules or can we uh, look at every situation and evaluate it based upon its merits um, and that if we say to, to Paul, okay, don't do a sidewalk, does that tie us to everybody else that comes and says, oh, well, you guys um, allowed Paul not to have a sidewalk, so you have made a precedent, or do we look at every case as an individual case? Jeff, Jeff that might go to you. Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services. In the ish, in the ish, in the instance, excuse me, in the instances like this, it is an ability to look at a case by case basis because the variance is is specific to the ask of the property at question. So, if you kind of do a close analogy, that would be very similar to what the Board of Zoning Appeals will do. It looks at a, a case and the context related to the item at hand. It, it it doesn't set up a a carry forward precedent that would be something that would go to the next item because. The circumstances or the conditions may not be equal or or carry the same weight going forward. Good. Luke Sinclair, Chair, uh, Commissioner Rexrod. Um, is it an option? Uh, do we have an option as a as a commission to ask for? Um, a uh, promise to uh, complete a sidewalk as, as the method had been used in the past. Is that still available to us? Jeff Crick, Planning and Development Services. The, the variance request is to dismiss the, the requirement for the sidewalk going forward. So if there is, the variance is denied, 
uh, there is the ability to go and get an agreement not to protest a benefit district after the variance has been out there. Based upon our discussions with municipal services and operations, they did not support an agreement not to protest in this instance because of the conditions they found in the area and requiring the sidewalk as part of the development pattern. Excuse me, as part of the development project. Sorry about my apologies for the wrong word there. Okay, to make sure I understand then, does that mean that this is, this is binary? We either um, deny the variance request, we accept the variance request, and there can be no future, we can't bind um, the applicant uh, for future actions. Jeff Crick, Planning and Development Services. Let me look in the code one moment to confirm that, but I believe that to be the case. Looks in clear chair, maybe while Jeff is looking that up, um, I think I saw Commissioner Ashworth's hand go up. Would you like to speak just while we're waiting for that answer? I will try. Um, Commissioner Ashworth here, we, we have dealt with a lot of these and we have tried to come up with something, trying to be a little bit more consistent in these decisions. Not everybody agrees which way to go with this. Um, but I, I certainly take to heart um, what Commissioner Sinclair has said in a couple of these in terms of really there are rules set forward and he can say it much better than I, I can understanding this, <laughs> the uh, rules and regs, um, that it really is a high bar for an applicant to not build a sidewalk. It's what's in plan 2040. It's certainly a goal that we have if we do not can if we do not ask that these sidewalks be built they will never get built we keep kicking the can down the road we do not have a network of pedestrian ways safe sidewalks sidewalks to schools parks and this is how it happens is variance by variance by variance by variance and so i'm inclined to until we have the larger discussion um, to stick with what's in the code and what is required. Um, staff has found there's no um, hardship. The city engineer has recommended the sidewalk be put in. And so that's the way I, I am leaning. Jeff Crick, Planning and Development Services, uh, did find my, my section here is, uh, the powers of the Planning Commission is to grant or deny the variance of the design standards of the section. So it is to grant or deny. Hey, Jeff. Uh, I saw Commissioner Shanklin's hand go up. Uh, Greg Shanklin, Planning Commissioner. Um, I, I guess, first of all, just a general statement here. I often leave our meetings thinking we lack the tools to, to find efficient middle ground compromise solutions um, on the, the matters that come before us, and sidewalks are an excellent example of that. Um, we've had other occasions where, you know, I think we as a commission would have agreed on something, but we find ourselves voting against it um, because we, we don't have the tools to make those efficient compromises on the fly. Um, in this particular case, I have no problem finding that this is a hardship. I have no problem finding 
that the solution that's been proposed to put the sidewalk along the park. Um, I mean, today I was over there and saw a guy pushing a, his child in a stroller down the street because he didn't have a, a sidewalk to, to, to use for, for his child's stroller. Um, a, a continuous length of sidewalk on the park side makes perfect sense to me. It's consistent with the requirements of the variance. And so I, I don't see why we can't go that route, particularly um, given the, the site demands, um, I, I think it is going to be difficult and expensive to put in a, a good sidewalk as well as the stormwater drainage that's required. And, and, you know, North Lawrence certainly needs attention paid to that issue. So that, that's it from me. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Shanklin. Commissioner Carpenter. Jim Carpenter, Planning Commissioner. Jeff, could you briefly restate the what a necessary hardship is, what the definition is, and what it does not include? Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services. Give me one moment to pull that up. I've almost have it memorized, but I don't have it fully. Um, this comes from section 20-815 of the subdivision regulations. An unnecessary hardship, the definition is the condition resulting from application of these regulations when viewing the property in its environment, that it is so unreasonable as to become an arbitrary and capricious, excuse me, arbitrary and capricious interference with the basic right of private property ownership or convincing proof exists that it is impossible to use the property for a conforming use or sufficient factors exist to constitute a hardship that would in effect deprive the owner of their property without compensation. Mere financial loss or the loss of a potential financial advantage does not constitute an unnecessary hardship. Thank you, Jeff. Jim Carpenter, Planning Commissioner. I see Randy Harkins working. Um, Randy, if you could join us and you give us this training every year. So what is, if this is purely financial, is it correct that it is not a necessary hardship? And you're muted. I'm muted. <clears throat> yes, under the city code as drafted, if it's just a financial hardship, then it's not a uh, it's not an unnecessary hardship or it's not a hardship the city code. So, yes. Thank you, Randy. Jim Carpenter, Planning Commissioner. I, we do have serious problems. Sidewalks are the never-ending bugaboo of this city. And Paul and I butt heads often. But I agree with him on this point that the code does, I saw that, our code does not make sense about sidewalks. And one size does not fit all. North Lawrence is the original town site. This is, as was said in the, in the presentation, this was laid out in 1871 before there was any state law even about sidewalks. And now we're just going in piecemeal to apply it. And, you know, if the city's so gung-ho on sidewalks, why don't we have sidewalks on all the city property? I've never had an answer to that. And I've butted heads with city commissioners often about this, too. 
um, not at meetings, but <laughs> in personal private conversations about how crazy our sidewalk ordinances are. And those houses across the street were built, you know, looking at the aerial maps between 2016 and 2018, just as, as Paul stated. And I would bet someplace there's an agreement not to protest the construction of a sidewalk. And I don't know, where did we lose that? Why are we in a situation that we have to either grant a variance that says, you can, we're never going to build a sidewalk here unless the property owner agrees to do so, or we deny the variance and we force a sidewalk where it makes no sense at this time. Where we're, our, The stormwater system is dependent on ditches. And North Lawrence, if you... If the North Lawrence Improvement Association was Ted Boyle, we hear about how proud they are about their ditches and how proud they are about how much work has been done since 1993 over there to make those ditches work with the addition of pumps and everything else. And people know how to use these streets. I, mean, I live on a street in town that doesn't have sidewalks. And we, people are out there on the street all the time. And it's not the safest thing. And we have to figure out how to address traffic for that. But it doesn't mean that sidewalks make sense there. In fact, the Barker neighborhood has opposed sidewalks consistently on Lernard. Um, because of the loss, because the city at the time was saying you'd have to expand the streets and put in gutter and we'd lose a couple of hundred trees. And nobody was willing to do that. And so the one size fit all doesn't work, but we're in a no-win situation here tonight. We don't have we don't meet the definition of a variance. And I'm not happy with saying you never have to build a sidewalk. I'm not happy with I, I can't go with that. But it's the same right. I'm not happy with having to say you have to build a sidewalk. It doesn't make sense. I, it makes sense that this would be an agreement not to protest, but we don't have that ability. So I don't know where we go with this tonight because I'm, I don't want to vote on either option. <laughs> I don't want there to be a variance, and I, and I don't want to force a sidewalk where the city's not even doing its own fair share of the job and putting a sidewalk on its own property right across the street. So I, you know, I see a definite conflict here, but that's not part of the variance request. <laughs> that's just an observation about how messed up our sidewalk policies are, and they need to be revamped. And like, like has been said many times, one size does not fit all. And we need North Lawrence. We need to know what they think about the sidewalks up here, because this is, if there is a historic community in this town, this is part of that historic community. And, you know, it's not always good to force things in there. A transportation system up there is what it is. And, yes, you use a sidewalk on a Locust. You use a sidewalk on Elm because those are carrying most of the traffic. But you go so far on them and the sidewalks disappear. Um, I think they go up to 7th Street for the most part. And then after that, there's no sidewalks. So I, I understand we need to expand the policy. I think MSO is making high-level policy without ever going out and looking 
in making sense of the various areas that they're making recommendations about. They're just using standards and looking at maps. They need to go out and see what the community, how they're actually used, and they're not doing that. And I can give other examples of that. So it's, it's just, where do we go on this? I don't know what we can do. Can you defer a variance forever? And, and if we do, does that mean that you can't build the infill development? So I guess that last one's a question to staff. If we don't take an action on this, does that prevent redevelopment of this site? Kyle Kobe with planning, um, the installation of the whether or not the sidewalk would need to be installed would impact the minor subdivision application, which in turn impacts the ability to pull a building permit, complete the site plan. So um, perhaps not directly, but indirectly, if we were not able to complete the minor subdivision process, it would have <coughs> a domino effect. Jeff Crick, Planning and Development Services Director, I might add to that. It is possible to deny the variance in the agreement not to protest the benefit district could be entered into afterwards. It, at the moment, the city engineer did not support the agreement not to protest at the beginning of the process. So it is possible for the variance to be denied and the agreement not to protest to be entered into afterwards. So it, the powers of the Planning Commission in the instance is to either approve or deny the variance. It, it's, not quite the same as you would have in other zoning cases. So I did want to kind of clarify and bring that point forward for the commission's discussion. Yeah, Jim Carpenter Planning Commission, I'm all too aware of that, that we it is the either or dichotomy that, that Commissioner Rexford pointed out. And and we are the final say. It doesn't go to the city commission. This is one of those rare examples where we make the final decision. So we're in a no-win situation. Mr. Werner. And you got something that you want to add to that? I think so. You, you reminded me I should have had Teddy Boyle here. Um, I don't know if that would have helped or not. Um, but, you know, I don't, anywhere in our presentation, we didn't mention money. I mean, this is really about the ability to develop that site. Obviously, the sidewalk is a little bit of money, but it's, it's not the problem. It's about handling the stormwater and... Uh, the conditions of the street have to deal with North Lawrence and its ditch. So, um, certainly I can tell you guys how to look at a hardship, but I think that's the hardship. But um, it's not about the money on the cost of the 400 feet of the sidewalk. And I agree with you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, I mean, Part of the reason we did bring this is as you stare at the city park across the street, I really struggle with uh, the guys forcing my client to build a sidewalk when you look at the park and there's not a sidewalk there. Uh, I, I struggle with how to how to reconcile that. Jeff, um, to your point, I'm not sure. I mean, I don't know, can the, the commission can deny it and you convince whoever the city engineer is to, that we assign an agreement not to protest. Uh, I mean, I'd probably go the other direction and have them approve the variance and um, that we would still sign an agreement not to protest. Um, that would seem to be a safer bet uh, for my client. And uh, doing all of this again, if we, if we had to. Uh, but those are my thoughts at the moment. I know some people are still. 
Luke Sinclair, Chair, uh, Commissioner Thomas, did you have more to add? Yeah, Charlie Thomas. Uh, again, it, perhaps because I'm new, I simply don't understand the uh, total function of this committee. It, it seems that we have added conditions. We added a 16th condition to the, the dams when they um, applied for their um, CUP. Can we not just add a condition here? Can we not just arbitrarily add something to this? Luke Sinclair, Chair, is, uh, Commissioner Thomas, is that a question for staff? Or are you oh, just I don't care who. Okay. Charlie Thomas, Commissioner, I don't care who it's for. Jeff Crick, Planning and Development Services. Uh, based on, on the code section for 2813B2, it just empowers the Planning Commission with the ability to grant or deny the variances. It doesn't empower it with, approve with conditions or any language associated with that. It does just read as grant or deny the variances to the design standards. Luke Sinclair, Chair, Commissioner Shanklin. Greg Shanklin, Planning Commissioner. I, I just like to clarify a point here. Um, while what Mr. Larkin said is, is dispositive on the law, it's our job to decide um, how to apply the facts to the law. And so I just wanted to, to clarify um, my position with respect to what Commissioner Carpenter said, uh, which um, I, I believe, Jim, that you drew the conclusion that there wasn't an unnecessary hardship here that wasn't solely financial. And I just wanted to make the point that I think there is. Um, reasonable people can, can, of course, disagree on whether or not that's an arbitrary or capricious position. Um, and such that I, I think it's up to vote, to us to vote on that point, uh, not just to assume that it's not a hardship. Thank you, Commissioner Shanklin. Commissioner Carter. Yes, thank you, uh, David Carter, Commissioner. I just want to follow up on Commissioner Shanklin's comments. Um, I've been sitting here stewing for a while. Um, I, I agree 100% with Commissioner Ashworth's comments about, you know, this is how a uh, transportation network doesn't get constructed. At the same time, I um, am completely sympathetic in this case with, um, with Mr. Werner's points um, uh, you know, a few months ago, we were looking at a, 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 um, a variance request that was more distant from existing sidewalks. And um, I, I, I felt even more strongly then that, you know, we may be compelled to follow the definition uh, of the statute as it exists, but we're also empowered as a um, deliberative body to, to, to apply our judgment and and make a recommendation or make, take an action based on that judgment. And, uh, you know, I grew up on Barker Street, uh, the 2200 block of Barker Street when it was ditches. And um, uh, it was probably in the mid 70s when um, the, the, the current, um, you know, curbed uh, sewer system was built and, and sidewalks were built. 
And you know, it was a transformation. And, and a few years ago, we saw something similar along 19th Street. It wasn't ditches, but you know, with the sidewalk infrastructure being built along with bike lanes along 19th Street. And it just seems to me that this particular case, um, you know, an isolated 400-foot stretch of sidewalk is not really going to help anybody. Um, you know, we can look at the counterfactuals. You know, what if there were a, 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 a sidewalk on the other side of the street with the new construction? What if there was a sidewalk by the, uh, the city park, but there's not? And build and this 400-foot stretch of sidewalk until something else happens is really not going to help anybody. As, as someone who's a real uh, champion of sidewalks, you know, whether they're for pedestrians or bikes, I think so, uh, something that I find more annoying than no sidewalk at all is a sidewalk that stops and starts. It appears and disappears. And I'm, I, I wish that the infrastructure were better developed in uh, the sidewalk infrastructure were more thoughtfully developed in concert with the drainage system, but it's not. And I am going to support uh, the applicant's request for a variance because right now we are proving his point that we're spending an endless amount of time on any, every one of these requests. And I would just like to direct, uh, I would like to hold out for um, somebody's consideration that we ask for a text amendment to revisit the sidewalk policy uh, in Lawrence to offer a more thoughtful um, definition of when, si when we mandate sidewalk construction, perhaps in line with the existing or proximity to the existing network. Um, and that would be something for other, for, you know, further consideration. But this is, it's starting to remind me of the experience we had with short-term rentals a few months ago, where we're doing this month after month, and it just doesn't seem to be serving, uh, we, it's not the best use of our time, and I don't think we're really serving the public good uh, in this particular case. Thank you, Commissioner Carter. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Um, just to clarify, Commissioner Carter, are, are you just floating the idea of asking for a text amendment or is that something that you want us to really consider at this point? Thank you, uh, Mr. Chair. Um, with my relative, with my total lack of legal experience and relative lack of experience along the lines of, of, of directing staff, I, I guess I'd open that up for perhaps uh, Commissioner Carpenter to weigh in on. Um, uh, but um, I, uh, I, I would, uh, my, my desire is for uh, staff to give that serious consideration. I would like that to happen. I'm not sure how much more time I'd like to take out of everybody's evening to put that into action, but um, uh, it is my strong desire uh, to spare us and the public this debate every month or every other month. Luke Sinclair, Chair, thank you for that. And I, I guess, um, you know, the, the text amendments that were not initiated at the city commission level, you know, I, I, caused me to wonder, are, is there any chance that text amendments involving the land development code are going to make much progress before the revision to land development code um, on the whole is going to be addressed? 
like it seems like we might be in that spot right now where it's like you know well the text amendment isn't going to get us any closer than um than just getting the land development code revision committee go running on this if i may mr chair yeah david carter commissioner i just want to thank you for bringing that up because this is where my my, my lack of uh, legal experience weighs in because if this is something that we can just ask that it be addressed in the revisions to the land development code great um i do wonder though what how we're going to address i guess we just continue dealing with these on a case-by-case -case basis in the intervening time but in this particular case i'm gonna i'm going to support the uh, applicant's uh, request thank you commissioner carter anybody else have anything they want to add uh, Randy Larkin, I see your hand up. Yes, this is Randy Larkin, Deputy City Attorney. And I don't want to step on any of your decision making or your fact finding. As Commissioner Shanklin noted, there are some facts that need to be founded, and that is complete within your purview. I'm only going to address the legal aspects of this. The situation is if you grant a variance, then the variance will run with the land, and there'll be never any situation where a sidewalk can be put there. If we deny the variance and, and, and all we're really doing is with respect to the minor subdivision, then they show a sidewalk, but that does not preclude an agreement not to protest going forward in the future. I just want to make sure that's the legal, that you are aware of the legal ramifications relating to granting a variance or not granting a variance. And I don't want to make any comments regarding the the, the specifics of this particular request because it very well may require a variance based on the nature of the property. But I just wanted you all to be aware of the legal ramifications related to it. And you may now return to your discussions regarding that. And you guys are doing an excellent job. Thank you. Thank you, Randy. Sinclair Chair. Uh, Commissioner Carpenter. Jim Carpenter, Planning Commissioner. With with all that being said, you know, I like I said before, I, I'm 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 interpreting the facts that you know whether a sidewalk there or not, essentially comes down to do we render this property non-developable? That's kind of the standard of an unnecessary hardship. You have to eliminate the possibility to develop the land. It's not simply financial. It's we have to take away all property rights, impede everything. And we don't do that with requiring a sidewalk. I'm not happy with a variance that says you never have to build a sidewalk because it does run with the land. And I don't know about these agreements not the protest. I don't know if they've been challenged. I know we got all kinds of problems with the Queens Road development, which is, I think, getting tied up in court just to interpret how long agreements not to not to protest can go on. I mean, these cause a big problem. But in this situation, you know, I, I I'm going to have to go with with what Randy is is stating here, that if we deny the variance, we we leave more options open. 
And we even leave open the option for the city commission to weigh in and say, yeah, we'll accept an agreement not to protest. You don't have to build a sidewalk right now. But if we say um, we grant the variance, the city commission does not weigh in and it runs with the land forever. So I'm leaning towards denying it and having the process work out and trying to get it. Maybe it has to be through an appeal by, by the applicant to the city commission about requirements of planning staff, but it still has a mechanism that it can't get to the city commission for them to weigh in on this subject and to modify it and to say, okay, we will accept this agreement not to protest in this, in this situation if that is truly what the applicant is willing to do. So I'm, I'm leaning towards denying the variance at this time. Thank you, Commissioner Carpenter. Uh, Mr. Warner, I see your hand up. Is there something you want to address there? A question for the lawyer, um, certainly not one, but the agreement not to protest the benefit district just means you can't protest the benefit district. I mean, if there wasn't one signed by my client because you guys don't have the ability to to guarantee me that you can deny it and we can go sign that thing, um, you can still be put into a benefit district. If there was a benefit district all on um, Lincoln Street, my client could still be um, have to pay for it. It just means the agreement not to protest just means he can't protest it, I think. Is that correct? Randy, you're on mute. Sorry about that. Randy Larkin, Deputy City Attorney. Typically what how the agreements not to protest will work is that when a site plan or when the development starts going forward, the city will enter into an agreement and say, hey, you don't need to build the sidewalk now. But in the future, if there is a benefit district where we're going to put sidewalks along Lincoln Street or whatever streets available, then you will have to agree that you're not going to protest that improvement district. You don't have to put the sidewalks in now, but when the city decides that sidewalks need to go in, then you can't protest that. And it's it's something that's in the city code. It's allowed. It was done along Queens Road. Um, that has not been a problem with the Queens Road situation. There's other issues, just to bring that up. There was some discussion of that and some discussion as to whether some of the situation was a problem, but that was not, that's not really the issue of that litigation at this point in time. But anyway, that's- Sorry, I misinterpreted my question. So oh, sorry. what you said, you're telling the commissioners that if they approve this, there'll never be a sidewalk on this property. And that's not true. I mean, if there was a benefit district along Lincoln and if there, there was there, put sidewalks in, it means my client would have to pay for his fair share of the sidewalk. He just couldn't protest the benefit. Uh, there, there would be a variance excusing a sidewalk from going on that property. Hmm. Now, he might have to participate in a, in a benefit district. Right. I don't know they'd have to put one on his property. I think they put one on his property if they were really building uh, sidewalks all along Lincoln Street. Um, I don't know. 
Okay, well, Luke Sinclair Chair. Uh, does anybody, I guess, do any other commissioners want to um, weigh in uh, one way or the other, given this discussion or, I, I guess, some little bit of the discussion on what can happen after a denial um, as to which way they want to lean? I, I, it's on some level, I do think uh, we can get to a point where, you know, the discussion on this um, we're going to get diminishing returns. And I think Commissioner Shanklin's right to some degree that, you know, we just need to vote. I think that's probably the best way to talk or to um, demonstrate what everyone's opinions are, positions are at least. Um, so I'm happy to have other people speak and maybe offer what they think. Uh, but I'm also honestly willing to take a motion too, if, if someone wants to make it. Uh, Commissioner Rexford, I see your hand up. Um, Commissioner Rexford, um, Commissioner Sinclair, I, I agree with that approach. I, I, I do want to put my thoughts out here on the record. Um, supporting the variance request, I don't think prohibits or prevents a sidewalk from ever being built. Um, I think the applicant can do that if the structure of the streets change and we come up with a new approach to um, how um, stormwater is going to be handled. All of those things could precipitate that discussion again. I understand that it does go with the land, but there's a lot of things out there that could affect that and, it, and a sidewalk is not prevented. One, two, there is a solution being offered that does provide a sidewalk in that space, not on that side of the street, but in a way that perhaps provides a greater benefit for what the sidewalks are intended to do. And honestly, I feel like um, we could have come into a situation like this with options other than just the binary yes or no. Um, and that the absence of that binary yes or no puts the burden back on the applicant as opposed to what I consider to be maybe a um, insufficiently prepared city when they're brought a situation like that. So for that reason, uh, I'm gonna support the waiver, um, or sorry, I'm sorry, support the variance um, and certainly would uh, welcome getting to a vote. Thank you, Commissioner Rexroad. Any other comments? Motions? I'd be happy to make a motion if we're ready. Uh, Luke Sinclair Chair, feel free to do so, Commissioner Rexroad. Commissioner Rexroad, um, I move that we approve the variance requested for minor subdivision MS-21-00194 from providing sidewalks as required per section 20-811 sub C sub one sub I for a local street in accordance with the provisions per section 20-813 sub G in the land development code property located at 700 Lincoln Street. Thank you, Commissioner Rexroad. We have a motion to um, approve the variance. Do we have a second? Saw a number of hands go up. I Commissioner Shanklin, I feel like it was the first one I saw. <laughs> I'll second. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, okay, with that, any other comments before we vote? Jeff, could you read the roll? Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services. Commissioner Ashworth? No. Commissioner Butler? No. Commissioner Carpenter? No. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Rexrug? Yes. 
Commissioner Shanklin? Yes. Commissioner Sinclair? No. Commissioner Thomas? Yes. Motion is four to four, so it fails to advance. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Uh, Jeff, if, well, I guess I'm not terribly certain. I, I assume we have to um, continue on until we get a motion that does pass. Hmm. Mr. Chair, if I may, um, uh, David Carter, Commissioner, I, if I'm not mistaken, the next step is to make a motion on the to to deny uh, to deny and to vote again. And if that pa if that uh, ties as well, I think the determination. What uh, if I may, Jeff? What's the determination if both votes are tied? Uh, Jeff Craig Planning and Development Services. In in instances where you're the recommending body, it would still forward uh, on with a failure to recommend. But in an instance where you're the decision maker, I don't believe you can render a tie vote from what I'm reading. Uh, give me one minute to work through the code and confirm that. But in in this instance, you you're not a recommending body. This is, this is uh, Randy. Go ahead. Looks clear. Yeah, this is Randy Larkin, Deputy City Attorney. Yes, as you are the final decision maker on this issue, it, it really can't end in a tie. So you could defer it, maybe come back to it, get more information, but uh, eventually uh, the tie will have to be broken somehow. Thank you, Randy. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Uh, Commissioner Rexroad. Sure. A suggestion um, that we uh, consider deferring for one month with the ask that city staff work with the applicant to provide a, a path that allows the variance to go forward, but with the promise not to, um, not to protest as, as, as the, the, the same remedy that's used in other places. That's something that would be a, an acceptable approach, do you think? Luke Sinclair, Chair, it, um, Commissioner Rexford, is that something that you'd like for the commissioners to weigh in or something that maybe Jeff uh, could could articulate a response to? Commissioner Rexford, you're putting that out as a way to perhaps get us forward on this and pass the tie? Luke Sinclair, Chair. Um, I, I appreciate your uh, suggestion. I guess the, a question I would have for staff is if that is something that is a, uh, I, I guess if that would be fruitful. Um, if it's a city engineer that um, that staff is sort of relying on, and that may not be an accurate rep sort of representation of the situation, um, is, is that likely to change? Mr. Chair, if we may have a moment here, we're, we're researching a code section. We may have a different determination based on the vote. If you'd give us uh, just one minute to flesh that out real quick. By all means. Jeff Crick, Planning and Development Services. Staff has found a, a code section 20 811 sub C, excuse me, subsection C13B. 
It states, if the planning commission takes no specific action on a proposed variance for part or all of a sidewalk requirement, the variance is deemed to be denied. In reviewing the variance and the standards of the section of width, special consideration given to the collector streets and adjacent, excuse me, adjacent to collector streets, arterial streets. Um, we're trying to, staff is trying to work through if that section is applicable in the instance. So we were just trying to make sure we fully understood that section to guide you on the discussion. So if you give us one minute, we'll keep working through that section. Thank you, Jeff. I guess while Luke Sinclair chair, while Jeff's working on that, if anyone has anything they want to say, I, I think you probably raise your hand. Quick talk, Mr. Warner. Um, I'm curious. Um, you know, if if the commission felt the agreement not to protest a benefit district was the right answer, you just as was mentioned, you just don't have the tools to do it. You know, can you defer it a month? and have Jeff tell MSO your opinions and maybe MSO changes their opinion and we sign an agreement not to protest. And maybe if they think that's unreasonable, um, we come back in a month and argue about it again with a full commission or um, maybe, he ha maybe the city engineer has to explain why an agreement not to protest a benefit district is unreasonable just a suggestion. Thank you, Mr. Warner, Luke Sinclair Chair. Uh, I'm assuming we're open to considering a lot of things. Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services. Based on the read of the code there, the section does state, if the Planning Commission takes no specific action on a proposed variance for all or part of a sidewalk requirement, the variance shall be deemed to be denied. Based on the interpretation, my read of that and in the context of the section there, I believe that the 4-4 vote would be the, um, would be not in taking any action on it, would come up as a tie on that instance. So it would be deemed to be denied based on that code section. Hmm. Luke Sinclair Chair, so with that reading, there would be nothing else to do at this point. Is that accurate? Jeff Cray playing in development services, that, that would be my understanding of it. And hopefully other staff has a thought or interpretation on that, I'd be happy to, if I'm reading that section wrong at, a, at this late hour. <laughs> Luke Sinclair Chair, Commissioner Carpenter. Uh, can I suggest uh, I mean, by what you read, it is a denial, but should staff upon further reading and consultation with the city attorneys uh, determine that that was incorrect, could we assume that you would bring this back for us to reconsider? I guess that's to Jeff or Randy. I mean, after we've had more time to, to determine whether we actually denied it with our tie vote, if that's an incorrect interpretation, would you bring this back to us again? 
Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services Director. I believe that would be the case because it would be, it would be equitable in the item, is my my understanding of it. So at this point, by what we understand, it, the tie vote has denied it, but the implicit understanding is that upon further review, if that was an incorrect interpretation, we'll hear this item in toto again, I would hope. So that, and I hope with all 10 of us here, if that happens. <clears throat> So I don't know that we have anything else to do on it tonight, Chair. Thank you, Commissioner Carpenter. I appreciated those comments. I think it was worthwhile pointing out that we're missing um, a couple. Uh, <laughs> uh, Mr. Werner, one more chance. I'm into your point one, so there's eight of you. Um, maybe with um, the planning director talking to MSO, Telling him that it's you know this isn't an eight zero no vote it's four four obviously the commissioners are struggling with this as we are um, we defer it a month and see if um, the city engineer changes his mind and we don't have to come back or we come back in a month if ten people are here or nine and see what happens then. Luke Sinclair Chair, thank you, Mr. Warner. Randy, did you want to address that? This is Randy Larkin, Deputy City Attorney. If the City Commission, if the Planning Commission wished for that, you know, to discuss maybe a, an agreement not to protest or go further with uh, discussions with the City Engineer and wanted to defer it a month, it could, if the person who made the motion, you know, withdrew his motion and there was a revote to withdraw that vote. And then if you wanted to vote to defer it, we could do that. You can do that under the Roberts rules, if that's the, the way the Planning Commission wanted to go with it. Otherwise, Jeff is correct that the 4-4 vote would be a denial at this point. Mm. Okay, Luke Sinclair, thank you, Randy. Uh, I mean, based on that, it, it, I think Commissioner Rexroad, you made the motion, right? Uh, would you want to... Like, what, would it, what would it be? Move to withdraw it and have a vote on that, and then. I mean, That's you, correct. And the second would also have to then approve the the withdrawal, and then you'd vote on that, and it would go. Then then you would vote on the deferral. Okay. Thanks, Randy. Uh, Luke Sinclair, Chair. Uh, the ball's in your court, Commissioner Rexroad. So, it's Commissioner Rexroad, uh, I think I understand the process. The question I suppose I have, and only time will tell, is if we tie on the vote to not vote where does that leave us then that would it would not pass and it, the the vote would stand as is all right we'll give it a shot um this commissioner rex road um how do i how do i formally do this i um i formally just, withdraw just, my yeah, motion just, yeah, right say so you withdraw your motion and then the second would have to withdraw it and then then the commission would vote as to whether or not they would wanted to allow that to proceed. All right. It's Commissioner Rexroad, um, I uh, withdraw my motion to approve the waiver. Sinclair Chair, I think, uh, Commissioner Shanklin, were you the second on that? Yes, Commissioner Shanklin, I withdraw my second. And uh, to the extent that there's a motion on the floor, uh, 
to, to vote on that, uh, I second that motion. And then the commissioners then would vote then to allow either the withdrawal of that motion or not. Okay, Luke Sinclair Chair, then I guess, uh, Jeff, would you call the roll on that? Certainly, Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services. Commissioner Ashworth? No. Commissioner Butler? No. Commissioner Carpenter? No. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Rexrod? Yes. Commissioner Shanklin? Yes. Commissioner Sinclair? Yes. Commissioner Thomas? Yes. Motion passes five to three. Luke Sinclair Chair, this is the reason why we have so many viewers on YouTube, these sorts of discussions. <laughs> um, okay, so then I guess the next step would be, does anybody want to uh, consider making a motion to defer uh, as we've been discussing? I can take a shot at that. Please do. Commissioner Rexroth. I move that we defer the decision. Let me get to my, my information here, apologies. I move that we defer the variance request to next month's planning commission meeting with the instruction for city staff to work with city engineering regards their recommendation on the variance request to inform them of the planning commission's discussion and to return this question to us for a vote and to include consideration of the option for um, the agreement not to protest. Luke Sinclair Chair. Um, Jeff, did you get enough of that to feel comfortable with it? Jeff Craig and Development Services. We did capture the motion. We, if we understand correctly, it's to bring it back for a voter. Would you, is the direction to defer so staff can work on other avenues? Make sure I un interpret Commissioner Rexroth's motion correctly. Correct. Yeah, the, the motion that, as I'm imagining, and we could discuss, but as I'm imagining, is uh, we defer the vote till next month. And in the interim, um, city staff works with city engineer and provides the feedback from planning commission discussion um, with the idea that that further informs their position, one, two, that city staff also brings back as a part of the vote next month, an option for the um, applicant to agree to a um, uh, no protest. Luke Sinclair, Chair. How about that, Jeff? Jeff Craig, Planning Development Services. Yes, we got that one down. Okay, so we have a, a motion. Commissioner Shanklin, are you, are you seconding it? I am seconding it. Greg Shanklin, Commissioner. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Any other comments before we vote? Commissioner Ashworth. Commissioner Ashworth, just point of order. Can we actually put in a motion to require that there be an option? of a benefit district or no, um, no protest of a benefit district. That sounded kind of odd to me. Question to staff. 
Jeff Craig playing in development services. You, it could be put in the motion there. I think as part of that discussion it would happen naturally, but with the city engineer and if there an agreement to, excuse me, if an agreement not to protest the benefit district was found as a an avenue that was acceptable, then it wouldn't, we wouldn't necessarily bring it back for a voter consideration because the avenue would have been been satisfied. Luke Sinclair Chair, any other questions or comments? Commissioner Carpenter. I'm Carpenter, Planning Commissioner. This sounds dangerously like we're trying to create code that could then be raised that future applicants will want us to try to do the same thing. We have a code. We had an interpretation of the code. We had a vote. <laughs> we were tied. The interpretation of the code is it's denied. There are avenues to address that. Now we have a motion to withdraw our vote. And we're going back down the road we went before with things that we aren't permitted to do in a variance decision. So I, I can't support a deferral. I think we had our vote and we go forward from here. We have a problem and the city commission needs to address this if the problem. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Commissioner Ashworth? Commissioner Ashworth, I just have to say I agree with Commissioner Carpenter on this one. Luke Sinclair, Chair. I, I agree with both of you. The only thing I'm sort of hanging on is uh, that there's the chance for uh, discussion of an agreement not to protest, which is something that I feel like most people have indicated they wish was an option. Um, and that sounds like something that can be discussed. Uh, and that discussion itself, I think, is worthwhile. And whether it comes back to us or not, uh, you know, or when it comes back to us, I think we'll just have to have the conversation again if that's not something that's feasible or recommended. Um, are there other, other comments? Commissioner Carter? David Carter, Commissioner. I guess I would turn uh, Commissioner Carpenter's observation to Randy and ask if this creates a legal precedent or just a reasonable expectation? Because if it's a just a reasonable expectation, applicants can ask for whatever they want, but you know, that's up for deliberation. We don't have to accommodate that. This is Randy Larkin, Deputy City Attorney. This would not create any precedent. These, these cases are all heard on a case-by-case -case basis based on the totality of the circumstances and the facts presented to you. So no, this would not have any precedential effect on another application. Someone might request to go it this way or a different way, but we're not bound by what happens tonight or what happens with this decision. Thank you, Randy. David Carter, Commissioner. Uh, with that in mind, um, I support the deferral. So I'm happy to continue. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Any other comments before we vote? Uh, not seeing any. Jeff, could you read the roll? Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services. Commissioner Ashworth? No. Commissioner Butler? No. Commissioner Carpenter? No. Commissioner Carter? Yeah. <clears throat> yes. Commissioner Rexrod? Yes. Commissioner Shanklin? Yes. Commissioner Sinclair? Yes. Commissioner Thomas? Yes. Motion passes five to three. 
And that brings us to the conclusion. Um, thank you all for hanging in there. Do we have, uh, well, first, I guess, the next thing on our list is to adjourn, but Jeff, is there anything else that we need to consider before that? Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services. We have no, uh, no miscellaneous or other business to bring before the board this evening. Okay. Uh, thank you all so much for your time and input on this. Um, do we have a motion to adjourn? Uh, I think Commissioner Rexroad looks like he made the motion right there. Any seconds? Uh, Commissioner Ashworth seconded. Uh, Jeff, can you read the Jeff Craig Planning and Development Services. Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. Commissioner Butler? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Rexroad? Yes. Commissioner Shanklin? Yes. Commissioner Sinclair? Yes. Commissioner Thomas. Yes. Motion passes eight to zero. Thank you all for your time. Sorry, long night. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Thanks, Kenneth. You were gone on Monday, Luke, and not tonight. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Good night, everybody.